This is Free Talk Live. It is the Thursday edition. We're kicking off hour number one, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free. 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And, of course, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you will find are totally free. That, again, is freetalklive.com. So we've got fun stuff coming up tonight and serious issues as well. We'll start a little bit on the serious side here because, uh, well, as everyone knows, the Democrats now have officially taken control of both of the House and the Senate, with mm-hmm. the Virginia race being, I guess, conceded today. So Just it's, barely, it looks like, yes. Yep, it's all over with now. Uh, Democrats are completely in control of the House of Representatives. And some people out there are thinking to themselves, this is it. This is the moment we've been waiting for. Now, finally, George Bush will be impeached. And you'd be wrong. Yeah. Because apparently the Democrats have pledged to not impeach President George W. Bush. Why? Well, what, do, what a, do they get out of this that's pledge? That's a matter of speculation, Mark. Uh, why? Why wouldn't they impeach George Bush? I mean, this is one of the... Because they're all in bed together. All these politicians are dirty, underhanded bedfellows. Yep. That's the reason. Nothing's going to change they here. Can't, what, what could they possibly do if you impeach the guy and kicked him out of office and then put him in jail for war crimes? What could he possibly do to you? And maybe this is one of the reasons why that uh, George Bush is looking to work with the Democrats so closely. Maybe they've suggested that, hey, just just don't veto some of these new pieces of legislation we're going to send your way and eh, we won't impeach your butt. You know, they're going to be sending him legislation about a minimum wage increase. I just was just looking at kind of a, a few bullet points about some of the things that they're looking to do. So they're going to shift the country in, a, in a, you know, just a little bit more towards the socialist direction. See, when the Republicans were in charge, they shifted the country over to a more kind of fascist sort of direction. Now we're going to shift back towards the more socialist side. But e- in either case, government is going to continue to grow. Oh, yeah. And so don't don't have any disillusions out there. Don't be confused about what is uh, what should happen or what might happen here. Nothing is going to happen in regards to George W. Bush. He's going to be sitting pretty for the next two years, and then who knows? Maybe the Democrats will throw him a bone and uh, abolish the what is it, the Twenty Second Amendment that prevents him from running for uh, for office for oh, a third term. Oh, I don't term. think so. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Who knows? Anything could happen at this point. New, new. Uh, but they are definitely not going to impeach him. However, there is a little bit of good news uh, about Donald Rumsfeld. Of course, the first bit of good news is that he resigned, though that doesn't mean anything either because he'll just be re- replaced by some other scumbag. And, But apparently, I guess now that he's resigned, charges can be brought against him. And the Democrats are also not going to be bringing charges against Donald Rumsfeld, but someone else is. Right, Mark? Looks that way. From uh, I, we got this from uh, MSNBC or the MSNBC uh, Mandy Sauer Sauer reports. Although he is now the former Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld is expected to be accused of war crimes in a lawsuit to be filed next week in Germany. The Center for Constitutional Rights will file the suit on behalf of a group of Iraqi detainees, as well as the so-called 20th hijacker who is currently being held at Guantanamo Bay. So supposedly they have what the 20th hijacker. <laughs> The former secretary actually re, um, authorized a series of, a series of interrogation techniques, said Michael Ratner, um, president of CCR. They include the use of dogs, stripping, hooding, stressed positions, chaining to the floor, sexual humiliation, and those types of activities. 
These techniques, he said, amount to torture and violate the Geneva Conventions. Ratner will be traveling to Berlin next week and plans to file suit on Tuesday. The suit is being brought in Germany because of a universal jurisdiction. I love this. Now, how can you make a universal jurisdiction? I rule Deem it so. everything. Well, that's what George Bush does, <laughs> right? Yeah. So because of a universal jurisdiction law, there, um, there allows German courts to claim jurisdiction over war crimes, even if they were committed outside of the country's borders. CCR filed a similar lawsuit in Germany two years ago. The suit mm. charged that Rumsfeld, former CIA director George Tenet, and other senior officials were responsible for the torturing of Iraqi prisoners at Abu Ghraib prison. The, what happened with that? Uh, the suit was dismissed, however, because German prosecutors said the case had no connection to German citizens nor to events that took place in Germany. I don't know why. what's changed now. Well, there Part was that one German guy. Remember we did a story about a, a German citizen of sort of Muslim persuasion mm -hmm. who was picked up and thrown in one of those secret CIA prisons. Maybe that's what this is about. Maybe. Um, they must think they have a leg to stand on at this point. Otherwise, why would they bother doing it again? Department of Defense officials, uh, for, the, for the story, um, officials at the time refused to comment on the allegations in the suit, and Rumsfeld himself called such universal jurisdiction lawsuits absurd, politicized. <laughs> Despite the previous uh, dismissals and Rumsfeld resignation, Rettner says he still thinks the former secretary needs to be held accountable for what Rettner calls war crimes. Yeah, well, that'd be nice. He I don't know if I've got my hopes up on this No, one. I don't think so either. He also wants uh, to put the U.S. interrogation policy on trial. I think it's important, not just for the personal accountability of Rumsfeld, but really to put the United States back onto what I consider the letter of the law, he said. So mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah, I wouldn't expect too much to come out of this. No. Um, it's symbolic and it's, it's nice. And if he does go over there to stand trial, then all the better. But I wouldn't expect that he's going to voluntarily get on a plane to, uh, to head to Germany to stand trial for this. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, but that's not all. Um, because why are they uh, bringing these war crimes charges? Well, you mentioned torture. You mentioned some of the, uh, just a few of the things that we know about as far as what they've been doing to people, the United right. States government, on uh, on our behalf, supposedly. And, of course, I was reading something today comparing Bill Clinton and his crew, Janet Reno, and what they did in Waco and Ruby Ridge and mm -hmm. their tragedies that they um, instilled on the American populace compared to George W. Bush and just the hundreds of thousands of uh, lives that are uh, have been lost at his hands. I can't consider uh, you know I can't consider uh, Clinton to be nearly on the scale of what George Bush has done. Was it was it Wayne that said was it last night on the air or off the air where he said that uh, you know Bill Clinton uh, or George Bush makes Bill Clinton look like Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> yes, I believe that was off air. <laughs> that was great. Um well Here's a story about a man named Jose Padilla. Yes, we've talked about him many a time in the past, but it's been a little while since we sort of gave you an update on his status. And so we're going to give you not only an update, but also just a, a fresh recap of what happened in case, like some of our listeners, this is the first time you heard of Jose Padilla or the first time you actually learned anything about him. Because last, I think it was last week on our Saturday show, we encountered some gentleman who didn't really act like Jose Padilla was a big deal. He sort of heard his name somewhere and didn't really know too much about this Jose Padilla guy. Well, here's Padilla. a story. I can't do it, Mark. I can't I can't bring myself to that. Sorry, that's how the the name yeah. the well, family pronounces the name. You ask some Hispanics how to pronounce that name and they'll tell you differently. Anyway, the Bush administration's May 2002 lawless detention, this from lurockwell.com of of US citizen Jose Padilla on US soil was as I recounted in my book, the first incident which really prompted me to begin concluding that things were 
going terribly awry in our country. The administration declared Padilla an enemy combatant, put him in a military prison, and refused to charge him with any crime or even allow him access to a lawyer or anyone else. He stayed in a black hole kept by his own government for the next three and a half years with no charges of any kind ever asserted against him and with the administration insisting on the right to detain him and any other American citizen indefinitely, all based solely on the secret, unchallengeable, uh, unchallengeable say-so of the president that he was indeed a so-called enemy combatant. To this day, I have trouble believing that we have a government that claims this power against American citizens and has exercised that power and aggressively defended it, and even more trouble believing that there are so many blindly loyal followers of that government who defend this conduct. The outrage that it provokes when thinking about it hasn't diminished even a small amount and does not diminish no matter how many times one reads, writes, or speaks about it. It is as a profound, it is a, as profound a betrayal of the most core American political principles as one can fathom. And of course, I completely agree with his his conclusions here. The Bush administration finally did charge Padilla with a crime after three and a half years of detention. In a Supreme Court ruling, right? Only because the U.S. Supreme Court was set to rule on the legality of their treatment of Padilla, which we're going to discuss in detail here for the first time on Free Talk Live. What exactly the United States government has allegedly done to this man who by all indications, is innocent because he hasn't been proven guilty. More on the way. 800-259-9231 is the Packet 8 toll-free line. You can take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. The show is Free Talk Live. Your show. You take control of the airwaves. 800-259-9231. You get to bring up what's on your mind. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you will find are totally free. And that includes the bulletin board system with over 140,000 posts and a lot of people to interact with uh, Interact with there. It's free. bbs.freetalklive.com. Get you right to it. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd to 25th. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information and to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. Continuing to talk about Jose Padilla, who I guess, believe it or not, there are still some people here in the United States that aren't too familiar with Jose and uh, Mr. Padilla and, and what has happened to him. And in case you're just tuning in, we're going to recap it here for you. He's been in a military brig for over three and a half years. I think it's uh, well over four and a half at this point. But it took them three and a half years to actually charge him with a with a so-called crime. And the reason why, because he'd been picked up as an enemy combatant and just locked away. Well, the reason why it took so long was because the U.S. Supreme Court was set to rule on the legality of the government's treatment of Padilla. And and indicting Padilla enabled the administration to argue that the case was now moot. So therefore, the Supreme Court was getting ready to hear the case on Padilla. And so the U.S. federal government said, oh, okay, okay, uh, we're going to charge him with something. And so they threw a charge at him. That way, that case couldn't make it to the Supreme Court because, well, they charged him at that point. Right. The issue was taken care of. 
So the government's indictment made no mention of the flamboyant allegation that they originally trumpeted to justify his lawless incarceration, that he was a dirty bomber attempting to detonate a radiological bomb in an American city. Instead, the indictment contained only the vaguest and most generic terrorism allegations. Since then, the federal judge presiding over Padilla's case has repeatedly expressed skepticism over the government's case against him and has on several occasions admonished them to provide more specific information setting forth exactly what it is that he's alleged to have done. Now, last week... Can you believe that this has taken a year? Now, I'll grant you... Yeah, his trial's not supposed to start until September. I'll grant you that the judge is skeptical or whatever, but God, I mean, this guy's just sitting there and they're, they're just... You know, screwing around, filing motions, paperwork. What happened to Speedy Trial? Um, it's gone. In fact, on a uh, related episode, of t- since you asked about Speedy Trial, I was out on uh, at the IRS protest today with Jim, who mm-hmm. is Lauren Canario's husband. Yeah. And as you know, Lauren was arrested for sitting on a front porch in New London protesting the eminent domain seizures there. Uh, totally nonviolent, arrested, now being held for eight to twelve months. Before she is put on, uh, uh, before she's she has her trial, hmm. and according to Jim, the reason why it takes eight months is there some sort of law in Connecticut that basically says that eight months is a speedy trial. So Jeez. for the bureaucrats, eight, eight months, months is lickety split, hmm. right? Yeah, so well, there you go. I'd like them to sit in prison for mm-hmm. you know eight months and see how lickety split they think it is. Well, here's the latest on Padilla. Last week, his lawyers filed a motion to dismiss the indictment against him on the grounds that the government has engaged in outrageous conduct, uh, conduct specifically that they tortured him for the three and a half years that he remained in captivity, particularly for almost full, uh, almost the two full years that they denied him even access to a lawyer. Via David Marcus, a South Florida attorney who's been reporting on Padilla's proceedings for his local blog. Uh, they link to the motion to dismiss, and again, we'll put all this on our website at BBS, on the uh, BBS. Uh, Marcus excerpts a substantial part of the description of Padilla's captivity, and then we are going to uh, give the details to you here shortly. It's important to remember that all of the things that we are going to list, I'm going to take some calls first, and then we're going to get to it, but all of the things that we're going to list are now completely legal for the U.S. government to do to people thanks to the Military Commissions Act of 2006. Now, when they did it to Jose Padilla, it was not legal at the time. They were just doing it because they're the government, and they can just do whatever it is they want to. And then they passed the Military Commissions Act last month that essentially retroactively said, okay, whatever you did to those prisoners way back then was okay, and now you can do it into the future, totally legally. We'll get to the details, but your calls come first. Let's go to Daniel in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Daniel, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, doing pretty good tonight. Great. I was, I've got a, uh, I figured out the Republicans there. Um, they've got, they've been, people would think of them as a small government party, and one of the reasons that so many people didn't vote for them, I think, is because they have definitely not uh, decreased the size of government. No, they haven't, and I think many people are, yeah. are well aware of that fact. People, are, people feel burned. Right. But the, the Republicans, I, I was listening to some of the, the, their cheerleaders today, Sean and Rush. And oh, yeah. How are they handling them. this? They're call, well, they're upset about it, but they're calling, uh, they're saying limited government. They're, they have no problem with the fact that the Republicans didn't shrink the government. They, uh, they use the word limited government, which a, a normal person would believe smaller government. Wait a minute. Oh, wait, wait, wait. 
when they were using those terms, were, were they using them to suggest that that's what the Republicans were doing for the last five years? That's right. <laughs> that's that's, that's nuts. They, so he's, they said, you know, why did all these people abandon us? We're the party of limited government. Well, ridiculous. Big limited, you know, the biggest limited government you can get. Well, they didn't limit anything. I mean, the, I the, it was a party. the government has grown at a clip that Bill Clinton could have only dreamed of. I mean, they didn't limit any growth. They went, they went crazy with government. They had a party. Yeah, and they, and yeah. it was, and we paid for it. Yeah, and we're going to continue paying for it because it was a lot of uh, deficit, uh, deficit spending as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Just well, amazing. That's all I had to call in about tonight. I just noticed that semantic trick they've been using, and uh, the cheerleaders are upset that that the voters abandoned them for. Not doing limited government. Well, so. I, yeah, well, I agree with you, and I don't think that – and thank you for the call, Daniel. I don't think that um, – I think a lot of voters, at least from what I've read so far, a lot of voters were really angry about the war. I think that was a huge mm -hmm. issue this year. And so I'm sure disaffected Republicans were not voting for Republicans as often because of the whole limited government issue. We've had people call in and say that they were going to do just that, that they were um, for small government and they were going to vote for Democrats. But I think that uh, – and I think that they realize that they're not going to get small government by voting for Democrats. They just wanted to punish the Republicans. Right. Well, That's all it was. We're all going to be punished um, as the government grows, but I don't it think It would have that, happened either way. I don't think that you could have stopped um, punishing us be by electing Republicans. But I, now I'm concerned, Mark. I'm concerned that the Republicans are going to double back and say, okay – We've changed our ways, you know, like a an alcoholic or something like a that. A contract with America, 2008 edition. Right. right. Okay. We've changed our ways. We admit America. We were drunken with power, but we're gonna uh, we're going to really get in there this time and cut the size of government. These Democrats have made government so large, and of course they'll be able to point to concrete things that the Democrats have done to make government larger. Um, and we can point to plenty of things that the Republicans did to make government larger. They both like to do this. Yeah. But nonetheless, they'll be talking to a uh, American public that seems to forget things four weeks after they happen. <laughs> so, uh, so who knows? Maybe they'll get reelected in 2008 by just simply saying, "Okay, we're going to be good this time. Just elect us, uh, and uh, we promise." Okay. Trust us. Well, uh, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not. Fool gonna... me once, <laughs> shame on whatever. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. The packet eight toll free line. Brett's on the line. Your calls as well. We've still got the details coming up on what exactly they did to Jose Padilla, and what they may still be doing. Though I think they've cut back on it at this point. Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. Thursday edition, you take control of the airwaves toll-free. Bring up what you want. 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line. For you, 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features are totally free. Shrine of Female listeners included. See the dozens and dozens of ladies that have taken the time to send us their validated photo. And even better, if you are a lady listener, you should consider joining the Shrine at shrine.freetalklive.com. What does a person who's been called aggressively nonpartisan sound like? A lot like a libertarian sometimes. Check out Common Sense with Dan Carlin and see why... Um, he thought that Free Talk Live audience would respond to his ad. 
Get the podcast at iTunes or go to dancarlin.com. That's dancarlin.com. Yes, indeed. So we're going back to the phones and to the fun. Let's go to hmm, Brett in Iowa on the Amplifier line. Brett, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, what's hey, on your mind, Brett? Um, actually, I want to talk about something completely off topic, um, and I'll probably have to explain it to some listeners. Um, but basically, I'm taking a radio class at school, um, intro to broadcasting. At, at and high school? Yeah, it's, oh. it's where my school is one of two. Do they teach uh, Morse code there too? Can you not walk over <laughs> the collar here? What What did you say? My school is uh, one of two high schools in Iowa that has uh, a radio station. Um, so it's, oh, really? You know, Way it's, cool. It is cool, but uh, we're getting in in the class right now. We're getting into uh, the legal portion of the class where you have to learn about all the fun stuff like the FCC and mm. you know that great government agency. Um, and anyway, today we were talking. It's pretty sick because my teacher is all for this, all for these laws. She just loves them, and you know, uh, we've got to protect about, the airwaves. Yeah, she. Well, I'll get to that in a sec. Okay. She uh, told us about payola today and plugola, mm. basically. But that, that doesn't uh, even exist anymore. I mean, yes, it does. Come well, on, they've got these indies in there, and they pay to put so- songs on. It's all about that's money. What was, that's what I was thinking, but you know, she was making a big deal about it, and. I just asked her, I was like, how can the government step in to my private radio station? If I own a radio station, shouldn't I be able to accept money to play songs? I mean, because uh, the the answer to that, of course, this may be what she told you, but the answer is that it's not your radio license. It's the government's license, and they give it to you based on certain factors. That's kind of what she said. She said, well, who owns the airwaves? I said, nobody. She goes, no, you're wrong. The government owns the airwaves. Uh-huh. I said, okay, whatever. Now, can you but, define, uh, since you're in the class, can you define what payola is for those who are uninitiated? Essentially, uh, from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, it is where, let's say, I have a band, and I go to a radio DJ, and I say, hey, dude, play my CD, and he goes, no, it sucks. I say, okay, how about if I uh, give you $100? He says, oh, okay. And then he does say on the air that we paid to play it, you know? Mm-hmm. He just plays it. Is that, I mean, that's pretty much what I got out of it. Yeah, I don't that, see what's wrong with it, personally. I mean, really, what's the that's problem what, with it? It's what's happening. Well, that's it's not It's not happening overtly. Enough. It's happening like they give you a trip to, to uh, no, Jamaica no, no. or something. These, right? these indies are, um, are are funneling money back in. It's payola. It's just, they, they put a third party involved now. How does that work, Mark? I, 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 I saw an expose on it. I can't remember precisely. I'd have to do a little research and come back to you on it what? I mean, what's the problem with it? Who cares? I mean, so it favors people willing to spend a little bit of money on their product. Hey, you know what? D- DJs are starving, man. They need to get well, some cash somehow. Is, the other thing is, how is this any different than uh, Congress? I mean, isn't that kind of how they operate, too? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, hey, are you going to get anyway, to do, that's... like, a report or something towards the end of the year, or...? Maybe you could, uh, as far like what do you mean? I was thinking maybe you could do a report on why the FCC shouldn't exist. That'd be fun for uh, your teacher, huh? You think she'd give I, you a good grade on exactly that? I don't know exactly what it is. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what it is. She'll probably give me a bad grade, but now what do you? Cool, t- um, How many watts oh, is that station? Okay, my school station actually sucks, like a hundred watts. <laughs> but uh, the other, I, I go to school in West Des Moines. And there's a high school in, in uh, Des Moines mm-hmm. that has a station that's about five thousand watts, Ooh. and. Um, but they, the cool thing is I'm good friends with a guy who's good friends with the program director. Uh, so we're going to be starting up a monthly show here sometime soon. Wait, wait, wait. A monthly place, show but... on the 100 water or the 5,000 water? 
the 5,000 water. Wow. I, I'm a DJ, too, so it would be like electronic music, but that's, you know, besides the point. But now what's, I, I just kind of want to talk about that. I just think that's a dumb law. <laughs> is, the PD, is the PD like an adult with a job, or um, is he a, a kid, a, a, a student? At my school? Um, at either one. Pick one. Well, at my school, it is technically the uh, the teacher uh-huh. who teaches my class. Okay. Um, it's owned by the school district, but... You know, it's it's just she's never on the air. It's all student ran, mm-hmm. um, but she's very picky at what we can play, what we can't. We have to follow the so-called modern rock format, which is all the you know emo dashboard confessional oh, bands gosh. that all the high school kids love. <laughs> sounds sounds so, like a uh, program director. Okay, yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, what about the other one? Uh, the other one actually has no format at all. It's, no, no, the PD. It's really interesting to listen to. The, oh, PD. the PD. I I don't know. Uh, I know. I mean, he works for the school. Okay. I don't know him. I've never them, but um, five thousand watt signal is a real. Ra- do anything. A five thousand watt signal is a real radio. That's station. a bigger station than what we started on. That's uh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, now, by three hundred watts. Now, what do they do? Uh, what are the, what does a high school station do when it comes to like the nighttime and overnight hours? Do they shut down or do they go automated yeah. or what? They shut. The the stupid thing is we have computer automation there. That's pretty much how the whole thing is run. Mm-hmm. But the transmitter shuts off at midnight, turns on at six a.m. And uh, we don't broadcast on the weekends at do, all. Do so. they do they play the Star Spangled Banner when they shut off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I've never listened. But. So wait, is it automated all the way up to midnight? I mean, they don't have high school kids there till midnight. It's it's automated for uh, up till midnight. But basically, if there's like how it works is, you know, if, if we're in a study hall, we just go into the studio, then we take it off automation and run it. Huh. Um, so it's, it doesn't really have a set schedule. I really think it's silly, but the kids who are involved with it, the other kids who are involved with it love it, and they yeah. think it's a big deal. Well, that's good. Whatever. I mean, they, that's, I think that's exciting. I wish there was an opportunity like that yeah. for me in high school. There wasn't. Ian's very excited about the whole, I, I can see I, it in his eyes. Well, I'm excited because you know the program director at the 5,000 Water, and uh, <laughs> maybe he's looking for a little talk content, huh? Please. Hey, I'll, I'll let him know. Yeah, I mean, send I'll, me I'll his email him. address or something like that. Cool. I'll get in touch with him. Thanks, Brett. I appreciate All the right. call, man. Good hearing from you. 800-259-9231. I'll take a high school station. 5,000 watts is 5,000 watts. You need something to fill the overnights with? We're here for you, babe. <laughs> I, know, I know you will. All right, 1-800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line as we go again to an amplifier line and talk to Mike in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey guys, uh, really quick question before I get out what I want. Do, do you know what airport TSA George works at? Uh, that would be Dulles, I believe. Works at Dulles. Okay. Um, what I called in about was every month I set aside a certain amount of money that I like to contribute to pro liberty stuff, like being an amplifier and Libertarian Party and stuff. But you know, especially after the election results the other night, I, I don't feel that I want to contribute to the LP anymore in my state or national. And I I just call looking for advice as to where you would where I should redivert my money to. Um yeah, I like Downsize DC. Obviously, uh, you're already a Free Talk Live amplifier, so you're sending us at least three bucks a month, which um, is great, and we certainly appreciate that. Uh, I think Downsize, Downsize DC is a great organization. They do a good job. Um, they've sort of adopted the amplifier model as well, where they're only asking for a couple bucks a month also from people, and it's working out for them, too. They're getting some really good pledges uh, coming in. Uh, and they're they're doing something that's pretty different, pretty unique from the rest of the libertarian movement in that, 
they're not taking um, they're taking libertarian positions on the issues, but they're doing it one issue at a time, bringing new people into the sort of the libertarian fold by attracting them to that one issue, and then they discover you know the other issues that they can get interested in. I, I'm sure you're well aware of Downsize DC and Jim Babka, and you know what? We need to have him back on. I he hasn't emailed me back, so we'll see what we can do about getting him back on the show. But Mark, uh-huh. anything off the top of your head as far as what he might want to consider? You know, I- the the only organizations that I support are um, I, I support Downsize DC, which I think they do a great job. I support the FSP. I'm not so sure that I think that they use the uh, their money the, as, wisely, so wisely. As, as as I think they should. That's my opinion. That's what it is. But then again, they are sponsoring Free Talk Live, so I support the RLC, well, but they don't need much money. And um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, amplifier money is just the best uh, way you can yeah. spend your liberty dollars. There you go, Mike. Any other, uh, any other thoughts? Does the Free State Project have any kind of contribution like that? Like a monthly thing? I think they do, and if you head over to freestateproject.org, I'm sure you can find that information or email somebody over there, and they'll be I'm sure they'll point you in the right direction. Thank you for the call, Mike. We appreciate it. More on the way. You take control of the airwaves. Bring up whatever's on your mind. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You bring up whatever you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet A toll free line for you, 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Uh, we give it all away. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you five, six, seven bucks a month for access to their special features, of which <laughs> we have all of their special features and more. All totally free at freetalklive.com. In fact, we just got off the phone with Mike in Illinois asking, you know, after this election, he's become a little disillusioned with the Libertarian Party, and he's a contributor. So where can he take the money that he's contributing to the Libertarian Party and maybe shift it over to a different Libertarian-minded organization? And, of course, if he wasn't already an amplifier, I would have told him, well, you should become a Free Talk Live amplifier, because he clearly already knows the benefits of becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. He's seen that the AMP program, standing for Advertise, Market, and Promote, has helped Free Talk Live get on more stations and faster. I mean, eventually, if we had never co- if uh, Johnson had never come to me with the idea for AMP, and thank goodness he did, but if he'd never come to me with that idea and we never happened to think it up ourselves, we'd still slowly be getting on new radio stations over time. It would be slower. It would be slower because we wouldn't be able to provide them with equipment. Um, they wouldn't necessarily have heard of us. We wouldn't, been do- we wouldn't have been doing the advertising we've been doing for the past yeah. 18 months, um, which is, by the way, about how long the program's been going on. And we've now cracked the $2,000 point, $2,000 a month, coming in from listeners like you. But there's 300-plus listeners that are contributing as little as 3 bucks a month to the AMP program. So it's just a little bit from each person that makes a huge difference for us. And There's some people that contribute significantly more than 3 Yes, there are. But, not. I mean, the majority of them, 3 to 5 bucks, And it's tremendous. And it makes a big difference for us. And so if you like the fact that we give all of the website features away then maybe you should head over to amp.freetalklive.com and become a Free Talk Live amplifier as well. Let's go to Gene, the Christian anarchist in Tennessee. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Well, hi, guys. Hey, Gene. I uh, just thought I'd call up and talk about China. Excellent. I, I saw your, uh, your post on the bulletin board system, and uh, I wanted to read some of it on the air for if I wasn't going to hear from you, but here you are. So give us some highlights. Okay. Well, um, the reason I talk about China isn't because... Uh, that I'm a big China supporter. I don't, uh, I don't mind China. I think it's uh, uh, an interesting place. Uh, but the thing that shocks me the most about all of my visits to China is having been brought up in America and expecting that a communist country was going to be this oppressive 
uh, regime where nobody has any rights and nobody can do anything, hmm. and then actually going there and finding out that, hey, in some ways, they have more freedoms than we do. In some ways, they don't. But uh, it's the contrast and the similarities that I find so interesting. Yeah, about and I do as well. I really enjoy your calls about this. And uh, by the way, we're going to like cut our talking to the minimum because we're getting a funny echo. But go ahead and tell some of your uh, your highlights from the trip. Well, um, I've talked a lot about China, uh, China traffic, and uh, the number of people there is amazing because a small city is several million people. And the traffic, it, the, the way it flows, it doesn't flow, it's more organic. And the people will cut each other off and just barge out into traffic. The kind of driving that they do there, if we did it here, you'd probably get shot. Yeah. But hmm. over there, it's not only accepted, it's, it's commonplace. It's the norm. So yeah, that's one thing that's very interesting. The other thing I've talked about numerous times is the fact that there's no weapons that the police carry. But um, this last trip... We didn't really get to see a whole lot of things, but we did go to a monkey farm. <laughs> and uh, they had, uh, it's not a monkey farm, it's more of an exhibition or a zoo kind of a place. Mm-hmm. But the monkeys are free to run around and roam around with the people and steal food out of your pockets. Wow. And, yeah, it, it's very interesting. Bite it's you, you, give you diseases. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they've been known mm. to bite, so you take that chance. But most of them are well enough behaved where they don't bite. They do put the more aggressive ones in cages. Hmm. But uh, do you get the pet? Do you get, do you get to get pet, pet the monkeys? They are too skittish for you to go pet them. I see. But they will come up to you and take stuff out of your hands. Gene, we got. I'm sorry, man. We got to let you go. The call's kind of deteriorating, but I really appreciate hearing from you. I might read some highlights from your uh, your account on the air. Thank you, sir. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Uh, I'm yep. being told that our our network's having some phone troubles tonight. The um, he, what they were saying about uh, what he was saying about traffic and the rest of the world. Nobody drives like they do in America. Canada, that's it. The rest of the world, they drive like they're completely insane. They, well, there's some Americans that drive like they're insane. No, you, no. you're talking about worse. No, 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 no. You, you, you have never been out of the country. You don't have any concept as to what I'm talking about. Um, stop signs mean nothing. Road rules mean nothing. They use their horn to warn you that they're beep 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 beep, uh-huh. beep 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 they, they, that they're coming. They just go wherever they can go at that moment. Wherever there's a space, that's where they, hmm. they drive the car. Wow. At lines on the road, they are, are of mitigable value. Interesting. Let's go to Ma- uh, Manuel in New York. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Manuel. Hey, how are you guys? Good. Hey, What's on your mind, sir? Well, now that I've moved to New York, I'm experiencing some of the uh, local tyranny. The oh. other day, actually, it happened several times where uh, my wife and I were uh, getting beer for some friends. Uh-huh. And apparently, there's a law here. Uh, the way I understand it is that anyone in your party, when you're buying alcohol, has to be over 21 and should be able to provide ID. So unlike other states where only the person paying or buying has to show ID, everyone else has to also. Yep. So it's really weird because uh, what if you have kids or what if, you know, we have like a, you're, you're like, I don't know, 30 and you have a kid who's, uh, you know, almost 18, then you have to, what, what do you do? You send them to the car yeah. or tell them, you know, get out of the lane or, you know, hide. It's just so ridiculous. This doesn't stop anyone from... You know, giving drinks to anyone else. No, of course not. But it's it feels good for the bureaucrats, and it feels good to some parents because we care about kids, and we don't want kids to drink here in New York. Though, I must say, Manuel, it's not a New York-only thing. Uh, I experienced this very same law down in Florida. It was, I don't know if it's the, a law or that's just what they decided to do. No, no. it uh, There is a law okay. that has to do with um, giving alcohol to minors 
I don't think the law requires the store to check the ID of everybody that walks through, but I think the store is sort of voluntarily deciding to do that, to sort of CYA on the whole situation. Sure. Um, so there is some sort of similar law to that in Florida, where if if the store can be found to have um, have sold somebody alcohol and then they go out into the parking lot and give the alcohol to a minor, the store can be found to be liable for that. And so yeah, that's, that's why they're when, covering up in this way. Yeah, that sounds right. When we asked the uh, you know the, the the checkout clerk, you know what's going on here, she said, she said that. She would personally be held liable under that law. Yep. That's why stores are doing this, just to not be, you know, get off the hook and say, well, it's not our fault. We checked IDs. Yeah, it sounds about right. In fact, when it happened to me, um, we actually talked about it on the air. I guess it would have been, gosh, back in 2005, I guess. 2000, maybe. Yeah, it was 2005, the summer of 2005. And uh, I was just appalled when they asked for, I mean, it was... It wasn't kids in this case. It was, um, you know, me and Johnson and my girlfriend at the time, who all are o- well over 21. We looked over 21, and uh, and they asked for all of our identifications when Johnson was buying a cigar. It wasn't even alcohol. Yeah, I mean, everyone is becoming agents of the state now. Yep, it's despicable. Yep. And people are um, adamant about it too. Oh they, yeah, yeah. They want well, to make the manager sure th- came over because I I started kind of getting a little bit shocked and and appalled, and he came over and uh, and I told him it was asinine, and then he got angry at me for using the word asinine, and I mean then I then I was asked to leave, and, and of course I did because it's their property and I, I respect their private property, but what an outrageous situation. Anyway, thank you, Manuel. We appreciate hmm. the call. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I mean to suggest that these silly little rules are going to keep alcohol and tobacco out of the hands of children is just totally, totally ignorant. And you, the, the politicians must know it. Didn't they drink when they were kids, too? Sure they did. They really think that these laws are going to make a difference, or are they thinking that the, the laws are going to get them reelected? Because then they could tout them during their campaign. Well, if you reelect me, remember I was the one who passed the tough new laws on alcohol and tobacco. That waste your time to and help... Force- protect your children and indeed when i asked if the person if a if a family was with children would they be able to buy alcohol they seemed confused about that they said they seemed unsure as to whether or not they would allow them to buy these products (laughs) well it's a it's a tough question they thought they were enforcing the law as it would be and what they're doing makes some sense honestly i mean a business if, if they don't want people under the age of 21 to get alcohol, really should kind of card everybody in, um, at the table just to get an idea of who's 21 and who's not. But it's the it's the law aspect of it that bothers me. Let's go to Glenn in Missouri. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Glenn. Hey, guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah, that uh, caller uh, asking about, you know, who he should contribute to for yeah. liberty. And uh, one of my favorite ones that I feel the best about contributing to who have concrete results, that's the Institute for Justice. Those are the guys they that are, defended uh, the Kilo and the other o- homeowners in the uh, Kilo versus New London court case. Exactly. Right. They, they do great work uh, helping people against government and onerous regulations. That's and true. They, and protecting the cases they win. Yeah, well, they lost, of course, in Kilo, but yes, they are help, uh, helping protecting people's rights, and, and I think that is a good organization, and thank you for the call, Glenn. Hour number uh, two is on the way. You take control of the airwaves. The story about what happened to Jose Padilla behind the prison bars. Coming up, it's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show, 
Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's the Thursday edition, Inside Hour 2 now. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can take control of the airwaves by dialing in toll-free. 800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll-free lines. That's 1-800-259-9231. And, of course, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you'll find are completely free. That, again, freetalklive.com. Well, last hour we began to tell you about Jose Padilla. And just sort of recapping what has happened to Jose Padilla, he was picked up by the Bush administration, labeled an enemy combatant, thrown into a Navy a naval brig, where he was then allegedly tortured. And we're going to give you the details about that torturing coming up here. But three and a half years is how long they held him there without any sort of criminal charges. The uh, federal government finally filed charges against him once they were threatened with a Supreme Court case that would determine whether or not his holding, uh, them holding Jose Padilla, was or was not constitutional or was or was not illegal. So they went ahead and charged him with a with a crime um, just to sort of get that Supreme Court case out of the way. Now we're waiting for him to actually go to trial, which is going to be almost an entire year from now. It's going to, believe, I believe, start in September of 2007 unless Padilla's lawyers get their motion to dismiss the indictment against him um, approved, which is possible considering the judge in this case is awfully skeptical about the government's claims when it comes to Jose Padilla. I mean, this guy isn't who they originally claimed he was. They claimed he was this dirty bomber guy and he was really dangerous to the American people when in fact he's just like a wannabe gang member or something like that. And, you know, it, they when they did charge him, they just charged him with some nonsense. I mean, you, you had the opportunity to charge a guy with, uh, you know, being prepared to uh, conspiracy to uh, set off a dirty bomb in no, America. No, they didn't charge him with yeah, that, though. but that would be great, right? If you were a prosecutor, it'd really be awesome to be able to do that. Yeah. But you can't because you don't have any evidence at all. Exactly. You're lying. Which means, which makes, must, must make somebody wonder, somebody with this, the slightest critical um, thinking mind, well, if you don't have the evidence, how can you justify picking somebody up and holding them, let alone holding them for three and a half years, let alone torturing that person? Because up until this point, Free Talk Live hasn't really touched on the, the alleged torture that was going on with Jose Padilla. I think a caller or two mentioned that they had fed him drugs and had tortured him. But now we've got the actual ex, uh, some excerpts from the brief here from Jose Padilla's people. Here's how it worked. When they picked him up off of the streets of America, which, again, just a reminder, according to the Military Commissions Act, everything we're going to tell you that they did to Jose Padilla is something that they could do to you. If they decided they didn't like you for whatever reason and wanted to pick you up as an enemy combatant, they could, because now it's fully legal. All of the things we're going to talk about, fully legal for the federal government to engage in now, thanks to the Military Commissions Act, which was passed a few weeks ago. So here you go. In an effort to gain Mr. Padilla's dependency and trust, he was tortured for nearly the entire three years and eight months of his unlawful detention. The torture took myriad forms, each designed to cause pain, anguish, depression, and ultimately the loss of will to live. The base ingredient, Mr. Padilla's torture, was stark isolation for a substantial portion of his captivity. For nearly two years, from June 9, 2002 until March 2, 2004, when the Department of Defense permitted uh, Mr. Padilla to have contact with his lawyers, finally, 
Mr. Padilla was in complete isolation. Even after he was permitted contact with his counsel, his conditions of confinement remained essentially the same. He was kept in a unit comprising 16 individual cells, eight on the upper level and eight on the lower, where Mr. Padilla's cell was located. No other cells in the unit were occupied. Wow. His cell was electronically monitored 24 hours a day, eliminating the need for a guard to patrol his unit. Why did they think that this gang member was so important if they can't even charge him with what they accuse him of? I don't, I don't know. I don't, under, I don't understand, Mark. Maybe they really... I mean, that's a big deal. They dedicated an entire block to this guy. Well, maybe it's because they just didn't have anybody else to throw in there. I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. His only contact with another person was when a guard would deliver and retrieve trays of food and when the government desired to interrogate him. His isolation, furthermore, was aggravated by the efforts of his captors to maintain complete sensory deprivation. His tiny cell, just nine feet by seven feet, had no view to the outside world. The door to his cell had a window... However, it was covered by a magnetic sticker from the outside, depriving Mr. Padilla of even a view into the hallway wow. and adjacent common areas of his unit. He was not given a clock or a watch, and for most of the time of his captivity, he was unaware whether it was even day or night, or what time of year or day it was. In addition to his extreme isolation, Mr. Padilla was also viciously deprived of sleep. This sleep deprivation was achieved in a variety of ways. For, substantial, uh, for a substantial period of his captivity, Mr. Padilla's cell contained only a steel bunk with no mattress. The pain of dis and discomfort of sleeping on a cold steel bunk made it impossible for him to sleep. Now, even when you go to prison, I believe you get some sort of thin, chintzy mattress to sleep on. I mean, the only time you get a steel bunk is usually when you're in general uh, population at a jail or something, as, as I understand. No, um, having you know, have, having uh, had a friend who worked closely in this, uh, everybody gets a mattress. Even in jails? Sure. Okay. I mean, yes, they get mattresses even if they don't. In have general a room. population, I was told that people are like sitting on the walls and laying on the floor. And oh, stuff. I see what you're thinking. You're thinking about a so holding cell when yeah, they first come in, like a drunk tank. Yeah, that's that's not general population. Sorry, um, don't know all the terms. When when they first bring someone in, they they put them into a, a big room that has some beds. But and once some you get a not. cell, you get a chintzy mattress of some sort. Yeah. He didn't even get that. Just a flat steel bunk. The pain and discomfort made it almost impossible for him to sleep. Mr. Padilla was not given a mattress until the very tail end of his captivity. Other times, his captors would bang the walls and cell bars, creating loud, startling noises. These disruptions would occur throughout the night and cease only in the morning when Mr. Padilla's interrogations would begin. <laughs> Efforts to manipulate Mr. Padilla and break his will also took the form of the denial of the few benefits that he possessed in his cell. I can't even imagine what they were. Mr. Padilla's de uh, dehumanization at the hands of his captors also took more sinister forms. Mr. Padilla was also put in, often put in stress positions for hours at a time. He would be shackled and manacled with a belly chain for hours in his cell. Now, a belly chain, doesn't that, what is a belly chain? Is that where they tie your hands to your feet? No, or, no. Um, it's a uh, it's a chain. Uh, they call them Oregon belts um, elsewhere. Okay. But uh, it's it's basically a belt or a chain that goes around uh, your middle, and then you're handcuffed to that. Sometimes in the so front. So you can't lift your hands to the side, back or up or anything like no. that. Got it. All right. So there was that, and then the temperature of his cell would be manipulated. Noxious fumes would be introduced into his room, causing his eyes and nose to run. The temperature manipulated, making his cell extremely cold for long stretches of time. Mr. Padilla was denied even the smallest and most personal shreds of human dignity by being deprived of showering for weeks at a time. 
yet having to endure forced grooming at the whim of his captors. A, su a substantial quantum of torture endured by Mr. Padilla came at the hands of his interrogators. In an effort to disorient Padilla, his captors would deceive him about his location and who his interrogators actually were. Mr. Padilla was threatened with being forcibly removed from the United States to another country, including the U.S. naval base at Guantanamo Bay. As though Bay. it matters. I mean, right. how much worse could they possibly treat him? Where he was threatened, his fate would be even worse than in, than in the naval brig. He was threatened with being cut with a knife and having alcohol poured on the wounds. He was also threatened with imminent execution. He was hooded and forced to stand in stress positions for long durations of time, much like the, some of the pictures that we'd seen mm -hmm. from the Abu Ghraib prison. He was forced to endure exceedingly long interrogation sessions without adequate sleep, wherein he would be confronted with false information scenarios and documents to further disorient him. Often he had to endure multiple interrogators who would scream, shake, and otherwise assault Mr. Padilla. Additionally, Mr. Padilla was given drugs against his will, believed to be some form of LSD or PCP, to act as sort of a truth serum during his interrogations. Most of the time, throughout, uh, throughout most of the time, Mr. Padilla was held captive in the naval brig. He had no contact with the outside world. In March 2004, one year and eight months after arriving in the brig, Mr. Padilla was permitted his first contact with his attorneys. Even thereafter, although Mr. Padilla had access to counsel and thereby some contact with the outside world, those visits were extremely limited and restricted. The deprivations, physical abuse, and other forms of inhumane treatment visited upon Mr. Padilla caused serious medical problems that were, of course, not adequately addressed. Apart from the psychological damage done to Mr. Padilla, there were numerous health problems brought on by the conditions of his captivity. Mr. Padilla frequently experienced cardiothoracic difficulties while sleeping or attempting to fall asleep, including a heavy pressure on his chest and an inability to breathe or move his body. Wow. They seriously did some terrible things to this man, beyond just picking him up for no reason whatsoever and locking him in a brig. More on the way. You take control. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Enjoy the archives. They're there for you. An entire year's worth of the show, totally free. In fact, I think I'm going to be adding the new torrent for the month of October um, tonight, so we'll be making that available to you. You get an entire year's worth of the show, and it costs you nothing. Freetalklive.com. And know this. Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project's First 1,000 Pledge. Are you just going to talk about freedom, or are you going to start living it now? Learn how the First 1,000 Pledge can make it happen today at freestateproject.org. That is freestateproject.org. Continuing the tragic, tragic accounting of uh, what happened to, or what it ha happened for years to Jose Padilla. Yes, you know him. He was the man that was arrested uh, for being a so-called enemy combatant, an alleged dirty bomber, and uh, they scared the American people with this man many years ago and uh, threw him in the a naval brig, eventually admitting it to the American people because they, they had done all this before. they it, it took a while for them to come out with the information. And then once they did, people got angry and demanded access to Jose Padilla. Finally, they let some lawyers in to come and talk to him. And then years later, he's now finally facing charges for things that don't have anything at all to do with what they originally accused him of doing. Because they have nothing on this man. No evidence. It's clear they have nothing on him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have kept him in a naval brig under torturous conditions uh, for three and a half plus years. And 
it's just a tra- terrible situation. I mean, we're talking about depriving him as far as a sense of what time it was. He didn't have any idea what day or what time it was. Totally cold cells, noises all of the time. No, um, he did not have a mattress to even sleep on. Being forced to stand in stress positions while hooded, um, shaken, drugged, yelled at by uh, his interrogators. I mean, this is just sick, sick stuff. And it's totally anathema to what America is supposed to stand for. As far as people that are accused of crimes in this country are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. And then once you prove them guilty... You can punish them, but even not, I mean, you really shouldn't be punishing them in such inhumane ways. You should at least give them a flipping blanket to put on themselves at night. And so we continue with uh, the account of how Jose Padilla was treated um, in for, for a three-and-a-half-year period. The deprivations uh, of physical abuse, the deprivations, physical abuse, and other forms of inhumane treatment... Um, in, they actually resulted in Padilla developing serious medical problems that weren't adequately addressed. For instance, cardiothoracic difficulties while sleeping, heavy pressure on his chest, and an inability to breathe or move his body. In one incident, he felt a burning sensation pulsing through his chest. He requested medical care, but was given no relief. Toward the end of his captivity, Mr. Padilla experienced swelling and pressure in his chest and arms. He was administered an electrocardiogram and given medication. The cause of some of the medical problems experienced by Mr. Padilla is obvious. Being cramped in a tiny cell with little or no opportunity for recreation and enduring stress positions and shackling for hours caused great pain and discomfort because for some reason you need to shackle a man while he's in a cell. Right, like that makes any sense. That's just punishment. Yep. It's unclear, though. Punishment for a guy who's never been convicted of anything. Nope. It's unclear, though, whether Mr. Mr. Padilla's cardiothoracic problems were a symptom of the stress he endured in captivity or a side effect from one of the drugs involuntarily introduced into Mr. Padilla's system in the naval brig. In either event, the strategically applied measures suffered by Mr. Padilla at the hands of the United States government caused him both physical and psychological pain and agony. Now, there's some people out there that are saying, well, he's a terrorist, and those terrorists deserve this kind of treatment. Sir... You don't know if he was a terrorist. All you know is what the United States federal government tells you. And if the if the party you don't like is in charge of the federal government, then you wouldn't believe everything that they told you. But for some reason, because the Republicans were in charge at the time, then all of a sudden their word is gold? All of a sudden that whatever they say about somebody is the truth? The whole point behind some of the the point behind the Bill of Rights, at least the fifth and sixth and seventh Amendments, uh, the point is to give people protections against these ludicrous claims it's amazing, and torture. It's amazing how this country, you know, f- founded on principles of liberty and freedom, um, f- founded on people having rights, um, has deteriorated into some kind of um, team warfare. Oh, the red team, as long as the red team's winning, we're, everything's great. I and mean, it's only on the surface, though. As you pointed out earlier in the show, they're working together. Yeah. That warfare is only on the surface for those not paying much well, yes. attention. Uh, when, I, when I'm saying team warfare, I mean that uh, it, it, for, the, for, the, for those of us sitting in the stands, uh, cheering yes. them on. Right. Got it. It's worth noting uh, that throughout his captivity, the conditions visited upon Mr. Padilla were, brought on by his, were not brought on by his behavior or any, by any actions on his part. There were no incidents of Mr. Padilla violating any regulations of the naval brig nor taking any aggressive action towards any of his captors. Mr. Padilla has always been peaceful and compliant with his captors. He was and remains, to the time of this filing, docile and resigned, a model detainee. 
Mr. Padilla also wants to make clear that the deprivation described above did abate somewhat once counsel began negotiating with the officials of the naval brig for the improvements of his conditions. Toward the end of Mr. Padilla's captivity in the naval brig, he was provided reading materials and some other more humane treatment. However, despite some improvement in Mr. Padilla's living conditions, the interrogations and torture continued even after the visits with his counsel commenced. In sum, many of the conditions Mr. Padilla experienced were inhumane and caused him great physical and psychological pain and anguish, beyond the fact that he was taken away from all of his loved ones in the rest of the world. Other deprivations experienced by Mr. Padilla taken in isolation are merely cruel and some merely petty. However, it's important to recognize that all of the deprivations and assaults recounted were employed in concert in a calculated manner to cause him maximum anguish. It's also extremely too important to note that the torturous acts visited upon Mr. Padilla were done over the course of almost the entire three years and seven months of his captivity in the naval brig. For most of the 1,307 days, Mr. Padilla was tortured by the United States government without cause or justification. Mr. Padilla's treatment at the hands of the United States government is shocking to even the most hardened conscience. And such outrageous conduct on the part of government divested of jurisdiction under the due process clause of the Fifth Amendment to prosecute Mr. Padilla in the instant uh, in the instant matter. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. All of that was done by the Bush administration to an American citizen detained on U.S. soil without any charges ever being brought against him. According to LouRockwell.com, let convicted, let alone convicted of any crime. All along, the Bush administration insisted that it had the right to abduct and detain U.S. citizens indefinitely and deny them access to any courts or even to lawyers to either contest the validity of their detention or the legality of their treatment. That is still the Bush administration's position, and the Congress less than two weeks ago purported to give the president the legal authority to do virtually all of that. And now you've got the Democrats in right, office. And the Democrats say... No, we won't want to impeach him. They have, they're not going to impeach. They're not going to do anything to reduce the size of the police state. It, they're not going to do anything to fight back against this. The case of, and nobody, I don't think anybody should have expected that they would have. They just wanted to vote out the Republicans. Right. The case of Jose Padilla is one of the most despicable and outright un-American travesties the U.S. government has perpetrated for a long time. It's impossible to defend that behavior, let alone engage in it, and claim with any legitimacy that one believes in the principles that have defined and guided this country since its founding. But there has been no retreat from this behavior. Quite the contrary. The atrocity known as the Military Commissions Act of 2006 is a huge leap forward to elevating the Padilla treatment from the lawless shadows into full-fledged, officially sanctioned and legally authorized policy of the United States government. The case of Jose Padilla is no longer a sick aberration, but instead a symbol of the kind of government we have chosen to have. More on the way. You take control. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. You take control. Bring up what's on your mind. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Everything on the site, we give it away. And that includes the listener map. Over 1,700 of our listeners have added themselves to it. And you can be on there as well. Go to map.freetalklive.com to see what it's all about. That's map.freetalklive.com. So we've pointed out some pretty depressing things tonight about the treatment of Jose Padilla, how he was tortured uh, by the United States government for three 
and a half plus years of his life. No charges. Now, they did finally charge him after the three and a half years of torture. And, uh, of course... Only because they had to. Right, only because they had to, and the charges are just crap, and they're probably going to be uh, shot down in flames if all goes well, and hopefully they will for this guy, because what a just a, a sick, tragic situation. But the real tragedy, um, beyond the, his mistreatment, is that now it's been legalized. According to the Military Commissions Act of 2006, the treatment that they engaged in with Jose Padilla, the deprivation of sleep, the, um, the forced drugging, the shackling, the manacling the um, forcing him to stand in stress positions for hours at a time, all now fully legal to engage in on anybody's part. If they want to pick you up off the streets for whatever reason, maybe they don't like you because you do too many anti-war protests or whatever their reason is. Maybe you're a tax protester and they just want to make you disappear. Well, now they can, and it's fully legal. And the American people have certainly um, lashed back to an extent uh, by voting out the Republicans in office. But as we pointed out over the past couple of days, they weren't voting for the Democrats as much as they were voting against the right. Republicans. Now, the Democrats don't really care. No. They're going to take that as an endorsement of their socialist policies, and they're going to use use the uh, the votes to go ahead and make in, the government more socialist. They may or may not. They don't care whether it's an endorsement or not. They're right. just going to do what they want to do because they're the government. But I want to point out um, some real concrete evidence of... Um, how it was that Americans were absolutely voting out people they didn't like as opposed to voting in people they did. Here's a real concrete example of it from the BBC. A dead woman whose name was on the ballot, uh, the ballot paper in a local U.S. election has won, uh, has won the poll in a small town in South Dakota. <laughs> yes, Marie Steichen, who died of cancer in September, beat a Republican uh, by uh, 100 votes to 64 and became a county commissioner posthumously. The election list, posthumously. Uh, posthumously. The election list closed on uh, 1st of August, but Ms. Uh, Ms. Steichen's name was kept on the list for Tuesday's election. Voters, of course, knew that she was dead, but wanted to make a point, a local official said. They just had a chance to make a change, and we respect their opinion, said the city auditor. Ms. Steichen, a Democrat from Woonsocket, defeated the Republican incumbent... So the dead woman, not only did she defeat the Republican <laughs> challenger, but he was, he was also the incumbent. Nice. Uh, the county board is likely to have to meet to appoint a replacement for Ms. Steichen. So just an example that uh, U.S. voters, when given the opportunity, and it sort of harkens back to the race that John, uh, not John Stossel, uh, John Ashcroft lost, I believe it was in 2000 or 2002, where he lost to a dead man in his Senate race, which is why he ended up being appointed to attorney general, because he wasn't reelected to Senate. Right. Because a dead man beat him. So I think that this is an example of how Americans really deserve to have no, um, nota on the top of their ballots, or at least on the bottom of, of each choice. Um, that essentially, I think it's nota, N-O-T-A, no, uh, I don't remember them. what it stands for, but basically it says, I don't choose any of the above. None of the above. N-O, yeah, none of the above. And that way you don't have to vote for the Republican or the Democrat. You can vote for none of the above, and if none of the above wins, then I'm not sure what happens in that case, but the bad guys don't get elected. If they're willing to vote for dead people, surely somebody would have, somebody would vote for none of the above. Well, if there was if it was none of the above in, in the Congress and, and they weren't able to reach a quorum or something, could they just not do business for two years? Oh, how wonderful would that be? Wouldn't it be great? Let's go it to the phones. Great. You take control of the airwaves. Wyatt in California, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hi, guys. Hey, Wyatt. Um, I, what you guys are talking about is amazing, and I'm so sorry I'm an iTunes podcast listener, so I was going to talk about the uh, subject of hell. Oh, what's but, on your mind? 
Uh, well, anyway, uh, I know, uh, Ian, you're, uh, you don't believe in, in a God, and Mark, you have had some Christian training. Uh, you two have two Hey, hey, wait a minute. I went to Christian camp for a long, long time, okay. so I've been Christian yes. trained, just not as much. So he made, like, caterpillars out of uh, egg cartons and yes. stuff. Well, my, uh, my point on, on, on hell is that my understanding of the Hebrew and Greek is that there's other words as Sheol and Hades, mm-hmm. and a lot of Bibles just translate that as simply hell. But um, there's so many places in the Bible where it shows that even uh, good people go to hell. Uh, even Job, when he was suffering with his afflictions, he said in Job 14:13, it says, Who will grant me this, that thou may protect me in hell, and hide me till thy wrath passes? Basically, he was asking God, Hey, I'm suffering here. Just put me to death. And from what I understand from the Bible, uh, hell is nothing but like a common grave of mankind. And... For God, who is supposed to be a God of love, at least that's what I've learned from the Bible, that would go against his personality. In Jeremiah 7.31, he talked about how people were sacrificing their children to uh, God through fire. And and God said, that's something that has never entered into my heart. what about um, uh, is it is it Lazarus um, that was um, that was in the lake of fire asking uh, oh the beggar to come put a drop of uh, water on his tongue? Yeah, yeah, that that's sort of a pictorial uh, thing, a pictorial illustration, and seriously, it, it shows that you know if you're suffering and burning forever in torment, would a drop of water really satisfy you? And uh, so it, was it doesn't sort of seem a, very uh, satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> It know. seems like you'd really, really, really have to be suffering if if you thought a drop of water would be uh, just something better than what you Well, if you're got. in a lake of fire, you're probably pretty dehydrated. Yeah, exactly. So, and I do have that. It's it's uh, specifically here. It's at Luke 16. No, I don't want to. You know, I really I know. Don't quote, it, it's uh, a very, quotes. So, yeah, like, it, what you're saying is that good thing. people can go to hell? Is that what you're saying? Well, from what I understand, like I said, from reading the Bible and, and researching both mm-hmm. Hebrew and Greek transliterations, it seems to be just a, a common grave of mankind, where they, uh, you know, once the Bible says that those who are sinning, or the, the wages of sin is death, and simply once you die, you're just kind of waiting. And then the book of Revelation talks about a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous, and it will be at that time that they'll be judged. And if a person's mm-hmm. judged wicked, then they're just simply... Uh, they're left in the grave. Yeah, they're just simply destroyed and 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 now, and. That's sort of like that. um. What what denomination would you call yourself? <clears throat> I'll just say a Bible student at this time. Okay, because that's <laughs> generally the um that that's generally what you're saying is like the Jehovah's Witness stance. Okay. Um, and and I I don't know whether you are or not. Um, but and I I don't think that they're her- heretical any more than the rest of the Christians. I think that they have a uh you know they have a fair view on the Bible. They they certainly know more Jehovah's Witnesses know more about the Bible than regular Christians know about Have the Bible. Have you ever studied with Jehovah's Witnesses? Um they've come through the door and uh <laughs> and I've given them I've given them hell, that's for sure. <laughs> Why do you give them hell? Because um I, uh because I think that there's a lot of problems with the Bible beyond um you know just talking about hell and and those kind yeah. of things. I mean I think that there's Well, it's it's a propaganda campaign, you know, between dark and evil and one way that the darkness can confuse the whole thing is by confusing the Bible and having so many different translations and so many people. And then, of course, all the evil that's been done in the name of religion. I can see how people would be disgusted with it. Mm. But if a person does a really sincere search of the Bible for themselves, 
they will find that there's a lot of truths. And oh, there's a lot I'm, of truths. I'm sure there's absolutely. a lot of truths in the uh, Koran and uh, the other books uh, that are out there to read. There's plenty of truths, and I don't think you just have to turn to the Bible for it. And I don't understand what the, you know, why people are so obsessed with one old book over other old books. Why is it that you know you hold this one in such reverence? Yeah, but I've heard you say that before, Ian. It's it's a, a basically an old book written by a bunch of dead guys. Yeah, so that's what it is. Words have meaning. I mean, if you take a thousand or a hundred dollar bill, that's just a piece of paper with. Well, ink why do their on words mean has, more than anyone else's words? Well, because uh, of how it affects people's lives when they apply it. I mean, you know, it, it's just as this, the way it directs your life and uh, the things that it does to your life once you read it and apply it in your life. You're living it yourself, and I've heard you so many say so many times that my whole meaning in my life is to. Uh, live a good life and be good to other people. And well, right, but is, I didn't have to read the Bible to understand that. I can read all kinds of books that t- well, give me I that believe, same message. I and I don't have to believe in Hocus Pocus as well to understand it. And thank yeah, you for the call, Wyatt. We appreciate it. 800-259-9231. There's nothing biblical per se. They don't have a biblical monopoly over the concept of being good to others. Sorry. 800-259-9231. You take control. This is your show, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. That's the toll-free line. You bring up whatever's on your mind. The Packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. You can, of course, join us on our website at freetalklive.com, where we have updates and more and live streaming and archives and the Shrine of Female listeners, and it's all for free. Those other radio talk show hosts want to charge you for access to their sites. We give it all away, though we do ask that you vote for us in return. So very simple. You just go to vote.freetalklive.com, cast your vote for the show, and that helps us get into the top ten podcasts of the world, according to podcastalley.com. And this is not just some unimportant top ten list. This is critical, because us being in the top ten allows more new listeners to come across the show and therefore, by proxy, learn about freedom and liberty. And uh, if that's a valuable thing for you, maybe you should head over to vote.freetalklive.com and help us out, because it'll take you less than a minute's time to cast your vote for Free Talk Live. All you need is an email address, and it makes a big difference for us. So it costs you nothing but a little bit of time. Vote.freetalklive.com. All right, Mark, let's talk about superheroes and politics. You know, huh? I, I saw this this uh, blog post today. Somebody sent it to me, and it is just the funniest thing. Um Election Day 2006, whose side is your favorite superhero on? Hmm. It's midterm election day here in the States, which means tomorrow one-third of the country will be cautiously happy, one-third will be pissed off, and the other third will have no idea that there was an election (laughs) that took place in the first place. It's times like these that make me wonder, how superheroes would vote? (laughs) Is Captain America Republican or Democrat? What's this blog? Um, Did you name that? I missed that. Hold on just one second. I'll tell you what it is. It's David Campbell. Uh, brain, uh, from Brainbridge Island, it's called Dave's Long Box. Okay. At Dave Long's Box. Blo- dot okay, good enough. Dot Just needed a citation. Okay, there we go. It's tempting to attribute one's own political beliefs to one's childhood heroes, but that would be wrong. We're in a um, no-spin zone here at Dave Dave's Long Box. I have uh, examined the evidence and decided on a political party affiliations for some of my favorite heroes without regard to my personal beliefs. So, in an effort to piss off readers to all political persuasion, <laughs> then here then goes the breakdown. I can't wait for the Green Lantern flan- fans to start flaming me in the content <laughs> section, comment section. All right. Superman. Do you have any guesses on any of these? 
It's um, it's kind of no. fun to think about. I don't know. I, I enjoyed all of it. Moderate Republican. Small town values and big city pragmatism inform Superman's middle-of-the-road political beliefs. On the one hand, his upbringing in rural Kansas forms the bedrock of Superman's value systems. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, as Clark Kent, Superman works in bustling cosmopolitan me- uh, metropolis, for, metropolis for a uh, big city liberal newspaper, the Daily Planet. Superman is a fiscal conservative who has a healthy distrust of big government. Don't forget his uh, arch-enemy Lex Luthor was president of the United States once. <laughs> He's a moderate on most social issues like gay rights. Jimmy Olsen is his best pal, after all. But it's uh, pro. I don't know if Jimmy Olsen's gay, by the way. <laughs> it's a little unfair. But it's pro. But he's pro capital punishment. Hey, Superman. It doesn't matter if you cry after executing some Kryptonian criminals. You're still pro death penalty. Ooh, yep. that's rough. Wonder Woman. Socialist. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonder Woman was raised in an all-female society, a monarchist utopia with strong socialist overtones and plenty of hot girl-on-girl action. <laughs> Wonder Woman came to Patriarch's world with a uh, clear liberal agenda, but a willingness to crack skulls if need be. She's heavily into social justice, environmental issues, and sisterhood. Wonder Woman is not beyond sticking a high-heeled red boot up your butt if you get in the way of her sapphic socialism. A red boot. (laughs) Symbolism there? I I guess. Uh, Green Arrow. Total I don't effing even know who that is. Green Arrow? No. No, he's uh well, he's he's one of the DC heroes and oh, okay. he, he has a bow and arrow and he looks a These lot like These aren't all DCs, are they? No. Oh, okay. He lo- looks a lot like Robin Hood. Okay. Green Arrow um is a total effing communist according to this. <laughs> Green Arrow is a loose cannon politically speaking. He's somewhere to the left of Alec Baldwin on the political spectrum and he's armed to the teeth with those crazy arrows of his. Green Arrow is an unapologetic uh, leftist. He's always Complaining about how the Justice League has a bunch of fascists railing against the man. He's soft on drugs. His sidekick, Speedy, was a junkie, after all. (laughs) An advocate of redistribution of wealth and his own pinko version of justice. This modern-day Robin Hood wants to take your hard-earned money and give it to some stupid soup kitchen or something. Hmm. Go smoke another joint, hippie. Hey, now. What are you saying? What are are you saying? I'm just saying. It's not only commies that smoke joints. I see. All right. Green Lantern. Republican, the squarest superhero in the DC universe, and that's saying a lot. Green Lantern is also one of the most conservative. A former test pilot and current galactic police officer, Green Lantern has always been a running dog for the man. Dude carries a WMD on his ring finger and flies around reshaping reality according to his idea the way things should be. Total Neil Khan. Wow. I'm so going to get hate, hate mail for this one. <laughs> Batman, independent. Really? Batman is a true independent. You'll never believe who the libertarian is. It's awesome. Okay, all right. Batman is a true independent, a man of solid principles and baffling contradictions. This may be because he's mentally ill. Batman is also (laughs) is almost paranoid distrust of government institution, yet believes in the rule of law. He's an urban vigilante, yet has a proponent of gun control. What? Batman doesn't use weapons. That's true. You're right. He yeah, doesn't he's use projectile weapons or yeah. firearearms. He doesn't use firearms. No he's got firearms. that little bat, bat wing thing. <laughs> yeah. Spring loaded or something. Right. <laughs> Put an eye out with that. Batman is an is anti death penalty to a fault. How many times has he had to capture the mass murdering Joker and return him to <laughs> Arakham Asylum according uh, instead of the electric chair? Well, you got to have the series continue. I mean, you can't just execute all of the uh, the criminals. You can just make new ones up. Well, it's not as fun. Contradictions be damned, Batman follows his own moral compass. And Batman is always right. When Batman votes, he weighs all the options and chooses the best person for the job, regardless of party affiliation or whether they are actually running for office. 
In other words, he writes Batman on every ballot. <laughs> Spider-Man. Hmm. Democrat. With great power comes great responsibility. That's 100% Democrat. Spidey is, is as much um, about taking care of the little guy as he is about clobbering bad guys. Spidey grew up poor, watching Aunt May trying to stretch her Social Security check each month and scrambling to make ends meet as a freelance photographer for that yellow rag, the Daily Bugle. Nowadays, he's working as a teacher in a New York public school. Recently, Spidey was uh, duped by a reactionary... Really? Neo- is that what's going on in the comics these days? I guess he's working as a teacher? I haven't read uh, Spider-Man any time. Take his word recently. for it. Yeah. Um, recently, Spidey was duped by reactionary neocon superheroes into supporting their oppressive agenda in the Marvel's Civil War miniseries. That's the one where they're taking sides, right? On yeah, the they're taking sides. Terror? And, and, well, they're, essentially, they're making all the superheroes unmask to the government. The government mm. needs to know who you are. Mm. Mm. So, um, And Spidey's taking the side of unmasking. Right. Captain America, on the other hand. Sellout. No, no. No, no, no. Spidey's. Yes, sellout. Spidey's a sellout. Now, Captain America, the government knows who Steve Rogers okay. is. On the other hand, he believes that uh, superheroes should be able to wear masks. Indeed. As I do, too. Privacy is important. <sighs> Daredevil. Is a far left Democrat. Hmm. Let's see, rich, highly educated, skirt chasing Manhattan defense attorney, total liberal. Enjoy that Streisand concert, Daredevil. <laughs> that was it. That was it. That was awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Iron Man, neocon Republican. Yeah. No Marvel superheroes better Republican credentials than Tony Stark, aka Iron Man. He's a billionaire industrialist and weapons manufacturer with an Ivy League education and a drinking problem. He's a staunch anti-communist. And served as Secretary of Defense. Can we have him back? Um, <laughs> just saying it would be better than what we have. In Marvel's Civil War star, star, storyline, Iron Man has drawn a line in the proverbial sand. He wants all superheroes to register with the government. Eh. And, and if you're not with him, you're against him. Yep, and, if you're right. not a, uh, and if you're against him, look out. He'll classify you as an enemy combatant and throw your butt in a negative zone prison where U.S. courts have no jurisdiction. No, he's not considered a supervillain. Why do you ask? Hmm. Mm. So this is an extensive list. The libertarian. Is this the last one? No. No. Nope. Um. Two two real good ones coming. Not Captain America. No, Captain America. I feel like Captain America is a libertarian. Is he listed? Yes. Okay. The Hulk. <laughs> um. The quote is: "Hulk just want to be left alone." Nice. <laughs> and you know that no one's ever made the Hulk pay taxes. Come on. Right on. <laughs> Never. Or he'll smash them. <laughs> Uh, Hulk smash taxes. Um, Cap, uh, Captain America. Wait, that was it? That was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, who needs to say anything more right. when you're the Hulk? It was very good. Yeah. Captain America, he claims is a Truman Democrat. Hmm. Cap is a man out of time, thawed after 50-odd years. This is your hero. Yes, I, I do love Captain America. Suspe- I, oh, I had my shirt on today, but yeah. I, I took it off. Um, of suspended animation, this living legend from World War II is guided by old-fashioned American values and unshakable principles. In other words, he's got a bit of of a stick up his butt. Captain America can't even recognize today's political parties, which have mutated in the, dec- in, in the decades he's been on ice into, in, into bloated, hypocritical, ideological monstrosities whose divisive policies makes him sad, makes him cry even. Cap believes in small government and stays out of private lives. A strong national defense and pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps or shoelaces or whatever's handy. However, Cap is opposed to legislating morality and believes the government has a responsibility to help those out who are less fortunate than, and defenseless, like kids and puppies. Cap is a walking Frank Copper movie with a mean right hook, and his vote's his conscience. 
but not along party lines. 800-259-9231. On the way, we're going to China and the United Kingdom. You take control of the airwaves. It is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off hour three of the Thursday edition. You can always bring up whatever's on your mind by dialing in toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. That's 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All of the features are free there at freetalklive.com, so enjoy them. Now, last hour, we were um, in the midst of this uh, superhero thing. And you know what, Mark? I thought maybe we should put it down, but if you can pull that back up, I am sort of interested in going to the final two or one or two you know, superheroes. It really like. isn't. It's, it's just one superhero. It's, it's very short, but... Uh, the question you know. is, what what are the political affiliations of your favorite superheroes? Right, and it, um, just to recap real quickly, Superman was a moderate Republican. Wonder Woman was a socialist. Uh, Green Arrow was a total communist. Green Lantern, on the other hand, was a Republican. Batman was an independent. Spider-Man, Democrat. Daredevil, far-left Democrat. Iron Man, neocon Republican. The Hulk... A libertarian. <laughs> Captain American was a Truman Democrat. Not sure that I know really what that means precisely, but uh, we read the explanation. And lastly, Ghost Rider. He's unaffiliated. The spirit of vengeance, Ghost Rider, is the ultimate protest voter. He always votes against the incumbent and anyone who endorses, endorses helmet laws. Vengeance is his. That sounds a little bit on the, uh, the anarchist side, too. Oh, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, all right. So well, there you go. The uh, Certainly no one's telling Ghost Rider what to do. Your favorite superheroes and their political affiliations. Last hour we had Gene also online with us, uh, Gene the Christian Anarchist. Mm-hmm. And he, um, or actually maybe it was hour one, but he was telling us about his trip to China. And his phone started to sort of crap out and really wasn't arable anymore, so he had to end the call. But I find his trips to China very interesting because, well, other countries are... Totally different places and fascinating to me. So um, I'm actually pulling some uh, some information from a post that he made on our bulletin board system that, again, I just found very intriguing. So I wanted to share it with uh, with you guys, especially since he didn't get a chance uh, to tell us everything about what he saw while he was there. This from the Free Talk Live bulletin board system, Gene, writing, Since my first trip in 1994, things have changed so much in China. Whenever I stay in China, I'm staying with family or friends, so I don't have the perspective of a tourist, but rather a guest. My wife's parents have retired from their positions as college professors, and they've changed from one apartment to a larger one. They've increased their spending habits over that time span, and they have more disposable income even as they have retired. I've seen the construction soar over this time span. They've gone from everyone using shovels and wheelbarrows to now they have big front-end loaders and mechanized construction equipment. They still do many things by hand, but machines are definitely playing a major part. There were only a handful of McDonald's in Beijing on my first trip, but now they're all over China. Other major chains are KFC and Pizza Hut. Never seen a Burger King or other major player in the Burger Wars. And as Gene put it last uh, earlier in the show, he likes to go here and recount his experiences to simply combat the um, huge amount of misinformation that's out there about China. Yes, it is a communist country. Yes, that much is true. However, they're not as communist as they used to be. At least not in the same at least not in the same ways as they used to. They China's become much more marketized over the last uh, fifteen to twenty years. You know, and um, 
basically they they sort of leave their people alone it's not the it's not the kind of ideological communism they tried to do and or socialism they tried to do in uh the ussr it this is it it's so much more rural there that they they just don't bother with it they're essentially a tyrannical government mm. that they will not be in any way opposed. Right. The government will not be challenged. Uh, you will not be able to speak out against them. But as long as they've got their plush offices and their uh, sweet, sweet, you know, um, paychecks, they're they really pretty don't much care. Okay. Um, and which is which was also exemplified by Hong Kong when the Chinese took over, um, repossessed Hong Kong in 1997. Not much changed. I remember reading an article where they were talking with some uh, somebody was visiting Hong Kong and asking the locals about the communist government, saying, "Well, where are they?" And they said something like, "Oh, well, they're they're hanging out in their offices down the street. You know, they don't come here very often." That sort of that was basically the answer. They just sort of keep to themselves. They haven't touched essentially the golden goose of Hong Kong, which is the which on all by all accounts by all objective accounts is the freest, most economically free place on earth. But yet it is ruled by China. Luckily, they've kept hands off so far, and it's been almost a decade now. So it has. Yeah. And I think some of that sort of market mentality has seeped over into the Chinese mainland as we continue with uh, Gene's experiences. Traffic in cars in China. He says private cars were almost non-existent back in 1994, but now they're everywhere. My wife... Uh, never even saw a taxi when she was growing up in the 1970s, but by 94, his wife is Chinese, uh, but by 94, there were lots of them. Now the private car is taking over, and many middle class have their own car. Yes, there are middle and upper class in this socialist country. Most of the cars are made by what they are called joint venture automobile manufacturers. They're companies like GM or VW who choose to build their cars in China, but 51% of the joint venture company is owned by the Chinese government. Cars by VW, Audi, GM, Honda, and Toyota are built in China. Cost of these cars are similar to prices in the United States. Import cars are very expensive as the government taxes them 100% and more. Wow. I've seen the following imported cars. Mercedes are the most common, followed by BMW. I've seen a handful of Cadillacs and about as half as many Lincolns. I saw one BMW two-seat sports car. A couple of years back, I saw an H1 Hummer. And this trip, I saw an H2. Never seen a Harley or any kind of classic automobiles. The last trip I saw my first motor home, uh, the last trip I saw my first motor home in China. Hmm. It was a smaller version built on a nice sized chassis with a diesel engine. No one drives a pickup truck. It's hard to believe after living in the United States where everyone including myself seems to have a pickup truck, they almost don't exist in China. How do they carry stuff? I don't know. I've seen some mid-sized... Pickup truck's a very practical vehicle, especially for some in some yeah. lines of work. He says, I've seen some mid-sized, maybe a bunch of Mitsubishi Fusos driving around. Those uh, those big work trucks mm -hmm. with the, you know, the, just a the big storage area in the back. Maybe that's what it's they a box truck. Uh, I've seen some mid-sized crew cab pickups in China, but these seem to all be owned by utility companies. They also have a huge bus that has a rear bed, so it's like a super crew cab, and it's used by work crews. On this last trip, I did see one crew cab pickup that did seem to be owned privately, but it may just have been an unmarked company vehicle. Um, he says there are plenty of black taxis in China. These are private vehicles that the owner uses as a taxi without paying the tax to become an official taxi. Uh, in New York, those are known as jitney cabs. They're easily spotted sitting alongside the road waiting for someone to hire them, and they will actively solicit your business. Obviously, not too concerned about uh, getting busted by any government officials. Yeah. doesn't doesn't look like the, sound like the government's protecting its medallions too thoroughly. Gas prices are running at about two dollars and fifty cents per gallon when converted from the price per liter. So that's about right. They have not seen a reduction in prices over the last several months like we have. 
Um, paper products. Chinese people are funny about paper products. It seems that a paper napkin is more valuable than money there. You must always pack your own paper, as you will not find any provided in restrooms or even in many restaurants. I've never even seen a paper towel roll in any supermarket or store there. Hmm. Everything is clean with old rags, which usually means it's not too clean looking. They have all. They also have a strange belief that is nationwide that you cannot flush toilet paper down the toilet or it will plug the system. Yuck. I've perf- personally proven this to be false, as I always flush paper down the toilet, and as long as you're careful not to flush a great deal of it, it won't clog. But if you tell them this, it's almost insulting to them. Yeah. They are horrified by the idea of flushing paper. I find their practice of putting little waste baskets next to the toilet to put the soiled paper into more horrifying. Yes, that's a, <laughs> a that's a horrifying thing. Chinese people, by the way, believe that cold drinks are not good for you. Hence, you'll have a hard time finding any. Even Coke is usually served at room temperature. Getting yeah. a drink served with ice in it is even harder than finding a refrigerated drink, as they <laughs> also don't like the idea of the ice watering down their drinks. And I can understand that. I used to hate that as a kid. Ordering a soda and having it be 90% ice and 10% soda. This is challenging, or this is changing now. And my wife's mother takes a frozen bottle of work with a frozen bottle of water with her on her walks. During a summer shopping trip a year ago, we were also able to find some vendors selling frozen water bottles. Happy Valley. This last trip, we went on one of the newest attractions in Beijing, the Happy Valley Amusement Park. It's kind of like Disneyland or Knott's Berry Farm. There are several roller coasters, including a flying roller coaster, like the Superman That one. doesn't sound good. They oh, all... the one where your uh, feet hang. I guess. Uh, yeah, you're, you're inverted or whatever. They have everything that you'd expect at such a park. There's the 3D movie, several stunt performances, larger-than-life rock castles and props. It's the largest such park in Asia, and we, were only, uh, we, we really were only to go through half of it because they closed much too early. We were there last Friday, and the park shut down the rides at 5 p.m., then closed at 6. They Jeez. need to work on that a bit. But they're getting there. You know, these are new, this, is, this is all new stuff. I mean, all new stuff for them. It's, ama- it's amazing just uh, listening to the development that's happening over in China, and it's because they've just been loosening up. The, the Chinese uh, communist government just hasn't been strangling at the economy as much as they used to. And it's it's interesting, especially when you compare what's happening in China, which is more marketization, to what's happening in the United States, which is more state control of the economy. More on the way. You take control of the airwaves. 800-259-9231. It is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. Thursday edition. You take control of the airwaves. Bring up what you want. Toll free. 800-259-9231. The Packet 8 toll free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you'll find are on the house. We give them away, including live streams. There's a broadband version of the show there for you and a dial-up version as well. Both of them for free at freetalklive.com. And register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, Attaining Economic and Personal Freedoms in America's Freest State. The three-day event, February 23rd to the 25th, will be held convention-style in historic Concord, New Hampshire, with some of the program taking place in the State House. Register now at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. Get more information, freestateproject.org. Slash Liberty Forum. As we continue talking about China, uh, one of our listeners, Gene the Christian Anarchist, makes a, a habit of going to China once every couple of years in order to visit his wife's family. His wife is Chinese, and uh, obviously they're still living over in China. And it's really interesting to me because he's, he's always uh, relating uh, real-life examples of how things in China are becoming more marketized and how drastically different they are from here in the United States where we're sliding away from the free market as we have been for the past you know, 100 years or so 
in uh, in the United States. We've just been sort of falling from our free market roots as China seems to be going towards a more free marketplace. Now, I'm not alleging that they're free. I'm not alleging that they've got life great in China. There's probably plenty of things wrong over in China. But nonetheless, the highlights are certainly interesting to discuss. So back to Gene's trip to China and some of his highlights. The fastest train in the world. He got to ride it. Really? On our previous trip to China, we went to Shanghai, where I was able to ride the world's fastest train. This is the world's only commercial maglev train. It's a 30-kilometer track running from the airport to the southeast section of Shanghai. The total trip time is under 8 minutes. And at the top speed at the halfway mark is 430 kilometers per hour. That's 280 miles per hour. When I arrived at the Shanghai airport, I didn't know how we were getting to town, and I asked my wife if her parents were getting us a cab. She told me we were going on the fast train, and when I asked her what that was, she didn't know. Was I ever surprised when I got into the station and a shiny maglev train pulled up? I'd never heard of a maglev in China. I had never known that there was a commercially operating maglev in the entire world. Even to this date, I don't think the Chinese have a web page or advertisement of any kind other than some billboards around Shanghai. It's almost like they're trying to keep it a secret. Anyway, the cost was extremely cheap, so we got on board. I still didn't know what I was in for, as no one had told me how fast the thing goes. We lugged all of our luggage and boxes on board, and soon the train doors closed, and the train started to move silently and smoothly. We were in the front car, so I had a view of the operator through the window and the door. She was a young, petite gal who never really touched a control that I saw for the entire trip. <laughs> I think well, it's a train. You don't right. have to steer it. I think the entire process is fully automated, and she's just there for show. I had my camcorder running as I figured this is something I should be capturing. The elevated train track is alongside the freeway leading to the airport. So as we start moving along, I'm watching the traffic on the freeway. Soon, we're going as fast as the cars in our direction. Soon, we're sailing past them at an ever-increasing speed. I'm starting to get a little concerned now as the tra- a train passes 250 kilometers per hour, and we're going at least twice the speed of the highway traffic. I thought we must be near top speed, but no, it just kept accelerating. I was getting really amazed at our speed, and it's very difficult to see the cars on the freeway as we're passing them so fast. Wow. I looked up, and we were at over 350, 375, 400 kilometers per hour. I'm I'm thinking, I hope this thing stays on track as we reach 430 and hold there for something like 20 seconds before starting to slow down again as the station at the other end is approaching quickly. So you just have time to reach the uh, the full speed for 20 seconds before it already starts to slow down. It just goes so fast. Well, 50 is um, 80. Uh, 80 k- kilometers an hour is uh, 50, 50 miles, miles an hour. hour. Man, they were flying. 280 miles an hour. He did the calculation. It's tremendous. Uh, <laughs> Good at, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> that makes me a little ill in my stomach just thinking about how yeah. fast he was moving. Uh, at these speeds, on the ground. At these speeds, it doesn't take you long where you need uh, to get where you need to go. Needless to say, I was awed as we got off the train and went on our way. Before leaving Shanghai, I had to go back on the maglev and ride it round trip to the airport and back just to say that I'd done it. I also got a taxi to take my wife and I to the halfway point alongside the track so I could videotape this monster flying by at 430 kilometers per hour. It's moving so fast that at the halfway point, I missed it the first time by. When I saw it coming, I didn't even have time to get my camcorder ready as it was disappearing in the distance. I had to wait another 15 minutes to catch it on its way back to the airport, but I did get it that time. When it passes, by the way, there's almost no noise at 280 miles an hour. Hmm. There's some swooshing sound, but no mechanical noise of any sort. Police state. 
Most think China of a uh, most think of China as a communist police state, and I was surprised on my first trip there in 1994 to find out that wasn't really the case. Make no mistake, they will arrest anyone they consider a dissident, but then so will the United States. They have a looser designation of what that means, however, and we're only catch and we are catching up with them quickly, a la the Patriot Act. Their police were far less intimidating than ours are. In fact, they don't even carry guns. Many have a billy club, but only detectives carry guns. I've witnessed two arrests in my many trips there, and in neither case did I see any kind of brutality uh, that our police seem to engage in. One time, a guy was getting arrested for trying to steal a bicycle, and two cops grabbed him and stuck him in a motorcycle sidecar. One cop drove, and the other was sitting backward on the front of the sidecar, trying to hold the suspect in the sidecar and striking him. <laughs> At least he wasn't. That's a bad job. When you have to ride on the <laughs> on the top of a sidecar um, to hold some criminal in, yeah, you've got a bad job. At least he wasn't plugging him full of holes with a 9mm. Another time, a guy in the shopping mall uh, was trying to steal purses, and all the women there started hitting him and held him there until the cop arrived. I've never been harassed in any way by the authorities here. One time, we rode the train from Wuhan to Beijing, and after arrival, they found that I had a resident ticket instead of a tourist ticket and took us to the office to pay the difference in ticket price. All the while, I was complaining in English about how the whole thing was an inconvenience and how this kind of treatment would be bad for tourism. Although I know they could not understand me, they could tell I was very upset and loud. They sheepishly told my wife what the difference was, and she paid it. They did nothing to me. I know that in this country, the police are taught to control the situation, and if any suspect gets loud, then he must be put in his place, even if it means using force, because we've certainly heard the stories from the airports where these uh, TSA bureaucrats and the customs bureaucrats just will not stand for anything like that. Yeah. They are not friendly. They are not looking to get a difference in ticket price. Well, they're the authority, and uh, if you start raising your voice, you're acting like the authority, and then you're usurping their control, and they, it just can't be done. He says, I've never seen that kind of behavior by the Chinese police. Most of the time, the police cars get passed by other motorists without fear. When they're driving with their lights blinking, no one pays any attention to them, <laughs> and they have to fight through traffic like every other poor sap. <laughs> Their police cars like are, are ordinary cars with nothing more than some lights and a two-way radio bolted to the console. No computers, no shotguns, no trunk full of weapons, no loudspeakers to holler at offenders, and no tough cop attitude that I ever saw. Maybe these guys just haven't been told that they're supposed to be in a police state. As far as freedom, the Chinese have some freedoms uh, restricted, but they also have some that, they, that we gave up long ago. They are left alone in their family matters. If a couple gets into an argument, they don't arrest the husband and charge him with abuse. If a parent spanks his child, he won't even get an eye turned his way. Then there's the one-child policy in China, which I've heard some misinformation about, and Gene is going to put it to rest here in a moment. This allegation that you can't have more than one child if you're uh, you know, just a regular person in China. As it turns out, not entirely true. No. 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line. If um, you've been internationally traveling and you've experienced some interesting things, you're welcome to share your stories with us. Also, coming up, Mark, you've got information on your favorite myth. Mm. And we'll get into that on the way. And uh, some bad news from Great Britain. Whatever you want goes. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. So take control of the airwaves. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. Bring up what you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That is the Packet 8 toll-free line. 
And uh, you, again, can take control of the airwaves. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All of the features you'll find are completely free. And that includes the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Over over, uh, 850 pages of content created by listeners like you. It's like the listener-editable version of our website, wiki.freetalklive.com. So we were talking about China and uh, some of the differences between China and the United States and how China's sort of shifting in a more market-based direction, the United States shifting away from uh, the free market and the United States sort of becoming more of a police state. And as we've talked about the police state uh, in, in the past, we've sort of done a comparison between the United States and the United Kingdom in that the United Kingdom seems to be a little bit more on the ball as far as instituting their police state faster than the United States is. And, you know, when you think about it, it sort of makes sense as to why. The United Kingdom is an older country, they've been around for longer, and they're smaller. So they're, they're much more able to institute more um, oppressive programs on a, on a quicker basis. They're, just because the country is smaller, their government is more efficient at being tyrannical, if that makes sense. That's how I see it, at least. Well, it, it's easier to, uh, to, to rule a smaller country just right. because, you know, just by size, uh, logistics. Right. So that's why I want to turn to the United Kingdom and adbusters.org on a story about how it is uh, some of the things that they are instituting over there, some of the things that have been instituted against their people, just as a sort of uh, harbinger of things to come here, what could be happening in the United States sooner or later. And it's uh, it's pretty disturbing. But also on the way, Mark, I believe we're going to be talking about your favorite myth. So that's coming up. Uh, but first, the most effective weapon against the Demo- against democratic protest in the United Kingdom is the Serious Organized Crime and Police Act of 2005. While the incitement to religious hatred clause provided numerous column inches and marvelous distraction as the bill was debated, Few noticed Section 132, which bans all spontaneous protests in any area designated by government, including the square kilometer around Parliament. Now, this sounds sort of familiar um, already, I mean, because we do have the free speech zones here in the United States where if the president is going to a certain location to speak or whatever to appear, then they can set up the uh, this sort of uh, you know two mile radius or mile radius around him where nobody is allowed to be, and then they have certain areas outside of that uh, which are designated as free speech zones. So this sort of rings a bell already. This clause was designed though. Remember, it includes the square kilometer around Parliament, Parliament at right? all times. No so-called spontaneous protests. It was tailor made to evict the 56 year old father of seven and peace campaigner Brian Haw from his five-year makeshift camp on a Westminster traffic island that MPs must pass on their way to the House of Commons. Now, have you ever seen this guy before? I've actually seen video footage of no, this guy. No, no, I have not. Yeah, he's out there on a daily basis, as I understand it, um, just to make himself seen to oppose the uh, the war in Iraq. Just to just to be there as the, the uh, House members have to pass by him, essentially, to just be a constant reminder of uh, of what they're doing. But they've now essentially outlawed him. And uh, his five-year makeshift camp on the Westminster traffic island that MPs must pass on their way to the House of Commons. So it was, with some mirth, that the press dubbed Section 132 Hawes Law. When, <laughs> when journalists discovered that he was the only man in Britain to receive immunity from prosecution because his protest preceded the new law. Until May 8th, that is, when after having his nose broken three times by variously an English woman, a U.S. Marine from the American Embassy, and a man claiming to be from Israeli intelligence, and surviving 
surviving one divorce, two arrests, and four eviction attempts, the House of Lords called time on his dignified protest by upholding the government's appeal against the Worcester Carpenter. But how could such a sweeping assault on democracy happen in Britain with its robust press and extensive experience of terrorism without uh, previous displays of hysteria? Maybe it's because it's not the country that it once was. Creeping authoritarianism has entered all aspects of everyday life, exposing residents to unprecedented levels of surveillance and punishment. Already the most watched country in the world with four million CCTV cameras, one for every 14 people in Great Britain. Now, the, this is an idea that we've heard uh, suggested in Chicago, Mayor Daley, uh, t- saying that he wants to, uh, I believe it's Mayor Daley in Chicago, mm-hmm. saying he wants to have a uh, camera on every street corner. In many cases in America, there are already red light cameras and other cameras like that monitoring people's actions. And in the case of the United Kingdom, they're everywhere. It's going to be a little harder to do here, simply because there's so much more space. More space, right. But um, I, I, there's... There's government in all those spaces. There's um, city governments, there's county governments, there's state governments, and I can't see how that these uh, these municipalities would give up the opportunity to be able to put cameras on their citizens. One for every 14 people perched like steel crows above roads, towns, and city centers. By the end of 2006, Britons will be the first to have all of their car journeys monitored using a network of speed cameras and automatic number plate recognition technology housed in a monitoring center capable of processing as many as 50 million plates per day. The system was devised to catch drivers without tax and insurance, but the movements of all citizens, even those who committed no offense, will be stored for up to six years. Pedestrians are also being targeted. (laughs) Under the Serious Organized Crime and Police Act 2005, all criminal offenses, no matter how minor, are now arrestable. Residents face fines of up to 100, uh, 100 pounds for a range of misdemeanors, including discarding cigarettes on the street, putting trash cans out on the wrong day, wow. and failing to stifle car alarms. Which, by the way, the trash can thing is, is illegal in many places in the United States as well. I don't know if it's illegal, but I know it's against the rules. It, well, it's okay. It's against the rules, and you could be fined for it. Okay. It's rare. I don't think it's very frequently done, but it's there. Anyway, so well, you know, uh, it, I, I've often done it. Um, for instance, sometimes you'll have a yard trash pickup mm-hmm. on a Wednesday or something, or a Friday even. Well, I do my yard cl- trash cleanup on the weekend. I, that's when I mow the lawn and when I pick stuff up because I'm working during the day on uh, the rest of the week. So then I just put it out there. Um, you know, some, I would put it out there on the curb and just wait till Wednesday. Sure. But no, apparently you can't do that. I mean, I've I've gotten notes on it before. <laughs> And failing to stifle car alarms. That's against the law, too. Children stopped by police can have their DNA taken and retained for life without being charged or even cautioned. So far, 24,000 samples are already in the National DNA Database. They're taking people's DNA from them. Kids. It's without any kind of charge. Right. And what's a kid going to do? Kid's not going to think to fight it. He's just going to do whatever the cops tell him to. Yeah, just swab his little mouth. When the National Identity Card Scheme is made law, their parents will join them paying 300 pounds each for compulsory cards that store biometric data and contain radio frequency chips to eventually enable authorities to scan crowds of demonstrators for names and addresses. This, again, is also something that is coming here in the United States. It's called Real ID here in the States. Again, Great Britain's moving a little bit faster. They're supposed to have theirs before we get ours. But isn't it? I mean, it's like an extra slap in the face. Not only are you going to be required to carry this government um, identity, this your papers, not only will you be required to carry it, but they also want to make you pay 300 bucks for it as well. 
So going on here, uh, already we've been. What if you just refuse? Well, there are a lot of people that are planning on refusing, and so that's, bucks. things are going to get very interesting. Um, not just because of the money, planning on refusing because they are outraged by the idea of government uh, a national identity card. George Monbiot says, uh, already we've become used to police filming demonstrators for the same purpose. When they started it ten years ago, it caused an outrage. But now we don't even notice them, not even to the extent of waving and shouting, hello, mum. Like every other intrusion on our privacy, it's become normalized. It will not require a tyrannical government to deprive us of our freedom. Step by step, step by voluntary step, we have given it up already. But then there's little resistance to future tyranny either. Clark was uh, ransacked or sacked after Labor's worst local election result in 30 years when the voters swung abruptly to the right. Like a nation of uneasy children, the electorate could not forgive him for first failing to deport and then losing hundreds of foreign criminals. In a country learning to fear immigrants and implicitly trust surveillance and punishment, this lapse from the man responsible for watching over them and curtailing so many freedoms in the name of public safety was unforgivable. So voters chose the United Kingdom's only fascist party in record numbers instead, and the British National Party doubled its number of English councillors. No one in government or civil liberties circles seemed remotely surprised. As things continue to get worse. Here's your update from Great Britain. All right, we're changing gears and going to Bigfoot. Coming up next, it's Mark's favorite mythical animal. Come but on. He's not the only one who believes There's in it. There's science behind there this. There is a scientist, apparently. At least one of them. It's Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, 800-259-9231. You take control of the airwaves, or what you want, even in these remaining moments. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line, by the way. 1-800-259-9231, packet8.com, for all your voice-over IP needs. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. Oh, yeah. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. You like the site? You like the fact that we give everything away that you'll find there? The bulletin board system, archives, updates, live streaming, and more. It's all for free, unlike those other radio talk show hosts. They want to charge you for access to their websites. Well, we give it away, though we do ask that you buy some stuff in return. Shop at our store. Get Free Talk Live branded merchandise like hats and T-shirts. Don't forget the classic archives on DVD collector sets. It's all there at store.freetalklive.com. That is store.freetalklive.com. And we're expecting, for those of you that were involved in our pre-order process, again, I'm told that the uh, the products are on their way here, uh, going to be arriving at, uh, with Johnson shortly. He should have everything shipped out to you um, at the very latest by uh, by Christmas season. So, or by by Christmas time at the latest. So we're expecting them to ship somewhere between you know next week and depending on which products come in and who ordered what, uh, you will get your products. And then I'm hoping we're going to get some testimonials from people at, as far as like how high quality these things are because I am told they are very high quality. Like these are not chintzy, cheap, low end products. Cool. Yeah. So we'll find out. Um, all right. So store.freetalklive.com, and then everything else that you need to buy in life, head over to amazon.freetalklive.com. Place your order there, and Free Talk Live gets a percentage of anything that you buy. That again, amazon.freetalklive.com. Shop in their 35 categories of products. Get free super saver shipping on a variety of items. Get stuff from everything from books to DVDs to groceries to furniture. It's all there. Amazon.freetalklive.com. As we go to the forests of the Northwest. Pocatello, Idaho. Jeffrey Meldrum holds a Ph.D. in anatomical sciences and is tenured pre- a tenured professor of anatomy at the um, Idaho State University. He's also one of the world's foremost authorities on 
Bigfoot. <laughs> the mythical smelly ape man of the Northwest woods and Meldrum firmly believes the lumbering shaggy brute exists. That makes him an outcast, a solitary Sasquatch-like figure himself. <laughs> I think that's a stretch. Um, on the uh, 12,000 uh, 12, student campus, where many scientists are embarrassed by what they call Meldrum's pseudo-academic pursuits mm-hmm. and have called on the university to review his work and an eye toward revoking his tenure, not like that's really. It's not very nice. No, it's not. And you know, I mean, the guy's got an opinion, right? One physics professor, D.P. Wells, wonders whether Meldrum plans to research Santa Claus too. <laughs> Meldrum, forty-eight, spends most of his days in his laboratory in the Life Sciences Building, analyzing more than two hundred jumbo plaster casts of what he contends are, in fact, Bigfoot fit, Bigfoot footprints. For the past ten years. He has added his scholarly-sounding research to a field of sham videos and supermarket tabloid exposés. He's convinced he has uh, produced a body of evidence that proves there is, in fact, a Bigfoot. It used to be that when you went to a bookstore and asked um, for a book on Bigfoot, you'd get directed to the occult section, right between the Bermuda Triangle and UFOs, Mm -hmm. Meldrum said. Now you can find some in the natural science section. What happened to the Bermuda Triangle, anyway? Uh, It doesn't seem to get the press that it used to. Yeah. I remember there were just whole books about that that I was reading uh, that I read as a kid in second grade, and and it just nobody ever disappears there anymore. Yeah, um, maybe it became the Bermuda Octagon and just wasn't as powerful anymore. It, I think that uh, just too many sailboats have uh, cruised through it yeah. safely, and uh, they don't care about it okay. anymore. Well, the Bermuda Triangle is it, it's junk science. On the other hand, Bigfoot <laughs> real. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I do believe in Bigfoot. Do I cringe whenever I see the Discovery Channel and see Idaho State University? Jeff Meldrum? Well, yes, I do, said Hackworth. He believes he's Hackworth take- is the guy that doesn't like him. Right. He says that uh, his his research is a joke. He's lionized there. He's worshipped. He walks on water. It's embarrassing. John Kajinsky, Dean of Arts and Sciences, said that there have been grumblings in Meldrum's tenure, but no formal request has been reviewed. He's a bona fide scientist, said Kajinsky. I think he helps this uh, university, provides a form of open discussion and dissenting viewpoints that may not be popular with the scientific community, but that's that's what academics is all about. On campus, Meldrum himself, a hulking figure with a mop of brown hair. I think that's a good point, by the way. I think that, you know, as as much fun as we can make of the Bigfoot guy... Um, and as silly as it you know it seems, you I th- can make of it. I think you're I think you're right, Mark. That this is one of the more, as far as the myths of the world, it's one of the more plausible ones. In that we are still discovering um, animals that have not ever been seen before by um, by the world of science. There are new new beasties being discovered here and there. There's certainly the possibility, whether you, it's probable or not. If you see some of the, the, the pictures of the African animals that they uh, drew back in the 1800s and sent back to, to England and, and Europe to show people, it was people trying to imagine what an elephant looked like. Mm-hmm. And this is a fantastic creature in, in northern Europe, as you can imagine. Still, Meldrum is distinguished supporter of Jane Good, um, has has a distinguished supporter in Jane Goodall. The the, uh, monkey chick. Yep, the famous authority on African chimpanzee. Her blurb in the jacket of Meldrum's new book, Sasquatch, Legend Meets Science, lauds him for bringing a much-needed level of scientific analysis to the Bigfoot debate. As a scientist, she's very curious and she keeps an open mind, said Goodall spokeswoman um, Nona Godlin. She's fascinated by it. 
Hmm. Bigfoot is a sort of Loch Ness monster of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, but not really, because the Loch Ness has been proven total crap. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, and, there's like, one it, lake. It couldn't exist. Right. Well, it couldn't exist, and there's a variety of reasons why. And besides, you can scan the whole lake and find that there's nothing going on there. Right. Whereas Bigfoot is just sort of this mythical creature that's out there somewhere in a forest somewhere. So, I mean, well, there's, there's to prim- find Bigfoot. primates on every continent of the world. Why couldn't Bigfoot exist? Yeah, again, it's possible. Whether or not it's probable, I don't know. Okay. Indian folklore. And there is a lot of crap in regards to Bigfoot. You will admit that, right? I mean, there's a lot oh, of yeah. hoaxing going sure on. Sure there is. Um, I, I, I don't know. You know, right. I don't know. But I think that it's very possible that it could be true. Indian folklore includes rumors of an ape man that roams the hidden hollows. Sasquatch is a uh, word, Indian word for meaning woodland madman. <laughs> uh, wild men, excuse me. Uh, newspapers began recording sightings of Bigfoot in the backwoods during the 1920s, but skeptics have challenged the accounts, and practical jokers have staged elaborate hoaxes, including grainy footage of someone in a monkey suit. Right, so I'm sure a lot of what he does as a scientist is probably sort of separating the wheat from the chaff, so to mm-hmm. speak, and figuring out what's a hoax and you know what might actually be something credible. Well, Meldrum said a decade ago in Walla Walla, he had uh, first discovered a flat 15-inch footprints in the wood. He said he thought initially that they were a hoax, but noticed locked joints and a narrow arch. These are traits that he came to believe could only belong to Bigfoot. That's what set the hook, Meldrum said. I resolved at this point that this was a question I had to get to the bottom of. When not in the lab, he loads his Chevy Suburban with tents and forensic gear and heads to the woods of Washington State in Northern California, where he has collected what he says are footprints, hair, and feces of the ape man. Mm. <laughs> He's a fun. fun guy. He tests hair samples and uses physics to produce charts that um, purport to show how Bigfoot would walk. Meldrum wonders aloud how much longer he'll be on the... Um, Faculty, but he said he also dreams of one day bringing back a bone or a tooth or some skin and silencing the stuffy academics. Mm. It's the theory of exploration. Is the theory of exploration dead? He asks. I'm not out to uh, proselytize that Bigfoot exists. I place legend under scrutiny, and my um, conclusion is absolutely Bigfoot exists. Now, here's what it is: the other scientists at his school, what are they doing to purport to, to further science? I don't this know. guy, this guy's, you know, he's he's a biologist. He's going out in the woods mm-hmm. looking for primates yeah, and in the Pacific Northwest. Him. Yeah, he, some b- Bigfoot nutcase. Well, fine. Yeah, it's great. What, you know, it's voluntary. I got no problem with it. Once once they find it, the Bigfoot um, nutcase gets his name put on a uh, right. put on the scientific name of the monkey. Yes. So I'm I'm fine and dandy with it. I believe that uh, Bigfoot. There's a very good chance that Bigfoot exists. You're the one funding it, aren't you? <laughs> I don't have that kind of money, but I just <laughs> toss fifty grand at um, this. But you know, he could, he could, he could write me for maybe a little bit. Of well, money. since we're talking about animals, and since you mentioned elephants, uh, one of our listeners sent me an uh, an email or a, a link to an article about um, a new discovery in regards to elephants. Now, this is for real, tangible, real science here, um, which so is I this. found fasc- find fascinating. We talked about the dolphins earlier this week. In the case of elephants, it has been discovered that elephants are self-aware, a trait that has previously only been seen in bottlenose dolphins, great apes, and humans. What they did was they painted an X on one of the Asian, or on some of the Asian elephants at a uh, at a zoo, hmm. uh, put him in, fr- and then put a large mirror down in his uh, in his uh, living area, 
And essentially, they discovered it that... It is an elephant, after all. You'd need a large mirror. Well, usually, like, if you're, a, a do- if you're testing this with dogs, they'll react to the other dog or ignore it completely or maybe try to look behind the mirror to find it. Well, the Asian elephants, when standing in front of the mirror, inspect. they did inspect the rear and brought food close to the mirror for consumption. But one of the elephants, called Happy, went to the next level. She began repeatedly touching the painted X on her head with her trunk. The mark could only be seen by her in the mirror. And the elephant ignored the another mark, which was made with colorless paint, that was on her forehead to ensure that she wasn't merely reacting to smell or feeling. So essentially, the elephant saw the X on, on herself. Realized and it was, it was yeah. Realizing it was herself, started touching, touching it. it. And I mean, just wow, really stunning um, science here. It's fascinating stuff. Anyway, it's Vinny in here with you. And Mark. And uh, we will join you again tomorrow night for the Friday edition, so be sure to join us for that. And online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. 1-800-Flowers.com wants to remind you Thanksgiving is November the 23rd. Try the Harvest Glow Centerpiece from 1-800-Flowers, either as a gift or to decorate your table this Thanksgiving. The small is $49.99, and the large is just $59.99. Call, click, or come in for fresh flowers and gourmet gifts delivered same day, any day. Use code FTL to save 10% on your next order. That's FTL for a 10% savings. 1-800-Flowers.com, your florist of choice for the holidays.